This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. And top of the morning to you. I'm losing my voice. Every time I say that, Ben thinks I'm weird. Ben, top of the morning to you. It's just a phrase. Man, get off my back. All the cool people say it. Is it the top of the morning, though? Yes. Is there a, a definitive time that would qualify as top of the morning? Or is well, you it, can't say bottom of the morning to you. You could. About noon. Uh, yeah, but that we're not. it's not noon. It's the top of our morning. I had uh, seven and a half hours of sleep, and I'm feeling it. I got more sleep than ever last night. I tried something different. Earplugs. Yeah. You know? You, you isolate yourself, yes. Oh, those were heavenly. Because my kids are out there messing around, and at 9.30, I'm like, Papa going to bed. I was so tired. Put earplugs in. Didn't hear a thing. They could have bombed my house. I wouldn't have heard a thing. So great. I think my wife was talking to me, too. That works. Did you just sort of nod? Yes. Fall asleep. Yum, 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 yum. It's crazy. So the earplugs are like foam earplugs? or Yeah, they're like the professional ones. You, you kind of spin them a little bit and shove them in your ear, and then they, they expand. They expand out. Oh, I'm doing it every night. Okay. I might do it today during work. What if there's like a fire in your house? I know. I worried about that a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah. that's why I can't do it. Okay, I but I I just I just kept my clothes on, just in case. Just be ready. Yeah, ready if to I, go. If I'm gonna wear earplugs. I better keep my jeans on, just in case. To fly into action at yeah. any moment. I mean, someone would wake me up. You'd if hope there's a fire. You would hope. And if not, you know what? Not a bad way to go. I'm asleep. Couldn't hear a thing. <laughs> Didn't even know the house was on fire until I was on fire. I don't know. I don't. But I did think about that. Thanks for bringing up my neuroses. Well, yeah, that's that's usually what stops me from using earplugs when I go to sleep. Really? Is either that I w- won't hear my alarm, which is probably the biggest fear. Oh, I didn't but think then, of that. <laughs> but then, like, there being a fire and an emergency. Well, this is the difference between you and I, Ben. Um, when you're my age, you end up getting up in the middle of the night Yeah, two or three times. You get up. So I think about the second time up, I decided to just take my earplugs out so I could hear my alarm. At that point, it's quiet in the house. Yeah, yeah. all is quiet. I, I so just sad. sleep perfectly all through the night. So Like a baby. Yeah. In your onesie, it's cute. Oh, yeah. Your little zip-up jammies. Oh, you know it. I've heard about them. Hey, um, here is the deal. Uh, anybody afraid to fly? Because today we've got Captain Tom Bunn coming on. He's going to walk us through... Any of your panics, any of your fears, your anxiety of flying. Next week's the biggest flying day, I think, in the in the of the year, in the history of the world. The day before Thanksgiving, right? He's gonna he's gonna help us calm down. There's a lot of fears. There's been a lot of We had the, the Russian airliner yeah. that went down. We had the, the bomb scares yesterday. Scares. There were some more in Europe. Uh, over the last 24 hours? Plus just overwhelming information that, uh, you know, something that weighs many, many tons shouldn't be able to fly through the air. Just that idea. 
that freaks still people throws out. a lot of people off. Or turbulence, you start yeah. bouncing around. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or just trying to find your seat if you're boarding Southwest Airlines and they have that really crazy seating plan. Just sit wherever. Yeah. Yeah. It's free for all. I mean, just like that creates a lot of anxiety. For, or bringing your children along. Well, my kid actually liked it when did he flew. He, did he? Be, yeah. Well, I, he's a kid. He thinks it's yeah. a ride. He looked, I don't know if he quite understands looking out the window that he's off the ground, but he was like, <laughs> wow, look at that. Oh, my heavens. We flew to uh, London once with our family, and by the time we landed, after a red-eye flight and flying from Salt Lake to London took forever, like a day, my son yells at the top of his lungs. We are right about to land at Heathrow, and he yells at the top of his lungs, when are we going to get off of this thing? And everyone started cheering. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that induced some anxiety, anxiety as That's well. That's the hardest part is you have to just kind of corral your child. That's right. And you keep shoving iPads yeah, and Yeah, there books you go. There you go. Oh, we're, running and, out of, we're running out of energy here. And the worst part, here. he took my Bluetooth headphones. Oh, sad. I wanted to listen to yeah. what I wanted to listen to, no, but, but he demanded his Bluetooth it's headphones. It's always better to just let them have whatever they want. Oh, so Give them your shirt if you need to. Yeah. My wife's like, just let them have it. And I go, I want, Relax. I brought those for me. Oh, and we'll look, see. They're not, even, they're not even big enough for his head, which is sad. He has a big head, so the headphones actually look like they were made for him. <laughs> That's great. I feel like you're already at a disadvantage if you bring your kid along. Yeah. Because people oh, yeah. look like oh. they want to kill you. Mm-hmm. All the dirty looks we got as That's... we were walking in with this kid. Oh, see, that's so sad. Kids are cute. Except Just don't we, touch me and stay quiet. He had the iPad as we walked down the plane. Yeah. So I was carrying him. He was sitting in my arms. His, his back against my chest was feet yeah. facing forward, and I carried him down the aisle that way. So everyone sort of smiled because that looks oh, kind that's of cute. That's kind of cute. Cute kid. But then it kind of turned to a, like that look like, oh, okay, this don't. is cute, but you better be on your best yeah. behavior. Keep your kid in line. Back of the plane. Right. Back of the plane. Keep going. Keep moving. I don't want to hear him. No seat here. You're not sitting here. But, oh, it's, there's stress. See all the stress? So next week, people are going to be stressed. And Captain Tom Tom Bunn will be joining us, and he's going to be teaching us the ins and the outs of anxiety, losing anxiety while you're flying. He's a captain with the Air Force and runs a really awesome program called Fear of Flying. It's uh, called SOAR, but it's at fearofflying.com. Cool site. We'll be talking with him in just a minute. And holy cow, they got the the ringleader in France. Well, they confirmed that they got him. In a shootout, I mean, that was the shootout, wasn't it yesterday early? Yeah. Yeah, so about 24 hours ago. Yeah, 24 hours ago, there was this huge firefight. But they, was they, it, like they needed 500 bullets fired oh, It was or crazy, 5, like 30 weeks. minutes or something, 45 minutes of just It was a seven-hour standoff and like a one-hour just constant bullets being fired. And, and then, then an explosion. And an and explosion, and then they had to go use forensics to see if this really was the ringleader. And yeah. he, he happened to have... Parts of him were in four different buildings. What they're saying is he was in the room with his cousin, yeah, who was the female who was wearing supposedly a, a, a bomb vest, yeah, or a bomb vest, vest, yeah. And so they had to take their time and but they got him. Figure out what was there. Now this building apparently was old, and the uh, reports out of the uh, Guardian this morning I read said the third floor fell. No way. On top of the so it the can't room, take so. five thousand bullets and a bomb blast. No. Oh, those, so they had to kind of dig through the buildings. rubble, and they weren't sure everyone's identity. So it took some time, but it's huge. They've got the guy. But that's huge news and crazy news. China, China's on board. Let's. China's now on board to go after ISIS. Well, they've 
killed several of their citizens in the last couple of days. You mess with our people. So now you got Russia, you got China, you got the U.S., you got France. But this is feeding into what ISIS wants. Oh, sure. They want this apocalyptic conflict yeah. in their area because it's it's their yeah. end of the world scenario. Well, see, again, this may this may feed the delusion of ISIS, but it also could very well feed the death of ISIS. Not the philosophy. That's the hard part. How do you blow up a f- ideology? I don't know if you do. But you can sure blow up the people that share it. Oh, it's this is crazy now. Have, have we ever had China on board any of these coalitions? No, I don't believe so. So, I mean, this is a huge position like, step. You go to the UN and they have the Security Council. Yeah. And there's all these voting members. Right. And it's always Russia and China that are against, against whatever everyone else is trying to do. And so things don't actually flow through there well. They could probably do something now and everyone would be on board. Well, and doesn't it's a little leery. I'm a little leery of China and, and Russia now wanting to. Yeah. Let's let's get well, this war on. We're all unified against one one yeah. bad guy. The enemy of your enemy is your friend. There you go. Except it just like it seems like the meetings are going to be no 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 we want to shoot at him. No we want to shoot at him. Well, Let us drop the bombs. No we want to drop the bombs. Universal air traffic control yeah. could fix that. The problem is nobody wants to go boots on the I mean everyone says we need boots on the ground but nobody yeah. actually wants to provide the boots. No. Which would go back to that scenario you brought up that mm. I saw on cable news about mercenaries. I swear that's a great just idea. Just hire some people. They you, aren't official with any yeah. government. You could just send in mercenaries. Yeah. I don't know if that would be good. I think people, yeah, people seem to be. There would be your boots. There's a lot of people against mercenaries. <laughs> I don't know. What do you do? You, you just, I don't know. Now, now the U.S. can lead a real coalition supposedly. Or, but are we going to lead it? Do we need to lead it? Well, I would say the biggest army by three or two and a half should probably be the leader. Right. You know what I mean? It's kind of like if you're like Shaquille O'Neal yeah. and the rest of the kids are like, but I don't know, high school, college. Are we going to commit more teams? to the fight than other countries? No, I mean, no, no. It's on the other side of – No, but we seem to have the technology. We have we resources. Seem, we kind of led the war there for 14-ish years or whatever. We've kind of been doing this for a while. Then comes the idea of do we need to be Team America World Police or can no. somebody else help us out? Well, no, no. That's the, that's the deal though. We don't need to we, – we just – I just think we have the technology. We have the people. Somebody needs to just at least take the leadership position. Seems like we've been at it the longest. I mean we could turn it over to French. Yeah. They're, they're very agitated at the moment. I mean they can't even build a building that can withstand – a blast. It was an old. 5, it was an old bullets. part of town. Five thousand bullets and a saying. bomb vest. Yeah. Just saying. I mean, we had that. Remember the bar fight in Texas? Yes, that was about the same standoff. More weapons taken out of there. Hope, hopefully, and that restaurant held up fine. Those guys. If you saw the video of those bikers, nobody was really aiming their gun. No, it was, it was just sort of holding it in the air, and it was just. Oh, that's just. I just saw the video of that yesterday. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. Um, any other headlines we need to focus on, Terry? Let's there get are. to the headlines. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio joined Police Commissioner William Bratton on Wednesday night to calm fears over a new ISIS video that emerged suggesting Times Square is a potential target for attacks. The mayor said there is no credible and no specific threat against the city, urging New Yorkers to go about their business over the holiday season. Bratton added there was nothing new about the hastily produced video, which showed a suicide bomber preparing a vest as well as a brief glimpse of Times Square. It is being called recycled footage. 
so it's been used before. Here is New York City Police Commissioner for Intelligence, John Miller. This is ISIS doing what ISIS uh, and al-Qaeda and terrorist groups do, which is propaganda. When we see the video, uh, we make note of it, uh, but it's like a lot of the videos we've seen. In a speech in New York later today, Hillary Clinton will introduce a detailed plan to defeat the Islamic State and fight the broader threat of radical jihadism around the world. The speech announced by her campaign Tuesday is her direct response to the terrorist attacks in Paris last week. Tensions escalated between demonstrators and Minneapolis police Wednesday night when both officers and protesters deployed a chemical irritant amid clashes. Protests uh, at a makeshift encampment near a police precinct continued into the night after police named two officers involved in the death of Jamar Clark, a 24-year-old unarmed black man shot Sunday. Police say they used chemical irritant to control the crowd, but protesters deployed their own chemical irritant on the cops. So it oh makes, makes for an interesting night in Minneapolis. Yeah. Jamar Clark, 24, shot in the head during a confrontation with two officers on Sunday. Police say he was a suspect in an assault and was interfering with paramedics trying to treat the victim of, a, of another incident. Police say there was a scuffle and Clark was shot. Mm. On a positive note, I don't know if you heard about this, five gold miners have been rescued in western Tanzania after being trapped underground for 41 oh, days. Cow. They went down initially into the mine looking for 12 others. Who had uh, who had were trapped, and they were down there trying to help them, but became uh, trapped themselves. These four or five gold miners that were rescued, they survived by eating roots, soil, frogs, cockroaches, and now they're receiving treatment at the hospital. So whatever they can wow. find, they were able to eat for. A are month they receiving and treatment for what they ate? Or are they receiving treatment because <laughs> they were dehydration? Under- and- Forty-one days in the dark, in the dirt. Oh. So efforts by local people to rescue the Tanzanian miners, the set of five that went down after the set of 12, right? They're trying uh-huh. – now they're – so the 12 are trapped. The five go down to try to help. They get trapped. And uh-huh. so everyone's trying to help the five. Yeah. They figure, okay, they're dead. We're just going to give up efforts. And that was about a month ago. Then another, then some other groups working nearby heard faint cries, alerted other miners working nearby that a group was still trapped underground. They started search. They were 300 feet underground. Did they, they find the 12? Still haven't found the 12. Oh, tragic. So likely the 12 are are gone, but they were able to rescue the five. Do you remember the whole Chile miner? I mean, this just brings back so many memories. That movie's out right now. Oh, is it? Yeah. (laughs) With with a bunch of people who aren't aren't Chilean in the lead roles. So by the way, I mean, talk about stress and anxiety. I'd be more anxious about... You know, going in a mine than on an airplane. Except some people have that same fear. Like they're going in the well, mine. You're in, you're in the, the airplane in that enclosed oh. area, and so they mm-hmm. get that claustrophobic sort of feel to it also. Well, and you know, these airplanes aren't supposed to fly apparently. Well, they are if you actually know other laws of physics, lift, drag, thrust, you know, principles of flight. But if all you know is gravity, you're thinking something's not right here. <laughs> this plane's got to come down some way. Uh, joining us in just a few moments, Captain Tom Bunn will be joining us. He has a website, fearofflying.com, and he's going to be talking us through how to overcome our anxiety, how, how we get through all of this. Do you get anxious when you fly? Like, is it overwhelming and then a little, you know, a little turbulence really throws you off? He's going to walk us through some things you can do to uh, prepare for your travels this next, uh, this coming up holiday season. Stick with us. We're going to be attacking the fear of flight with Captain Tom Bunn. Just sit back. Keep your seatbelts on. We'll have a great flight.
We'll be right back, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Come fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in Far Bombay. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, apparently, look at that little combination there of Frank Sinatra. Let's fly away, and if there's some exotic booze, I mean, maybe that's the only way for a lot of people to get over the anxiety of flying. But you know what? We're going to tell you there's probably a healthier way and a safer way. Um, Our next guest, Captain Tom Bunn, is joining us from Westport, Connecticut. He is a captain in the Air Force and uh, um, also runs a website. If you have any anxiety, any fear, any phobia of flying, you've got to go to check out this website, fearofflying.com. And it walks you through, gives you support, tools, things to read, talk about, resources, you name it, blogs, It's got everything you need to help give you the information to be able to overcome your own anxiety. And it makes sense that we have anxiety. We keep hearing story after story, whether it's the airplane that was that blew up and is everyone is now saying a bomb blew up over Egypt or out of Egypt, Uh, whether it's the mental health of our pilots and that tragedy that took place in the French Alps. Um, or just airplanes disappearing, like Malaysia Air, that we just don't know where it went. A lot of people are afraid of flying today. So Captain Tom Bunn is joining us. Uh, Captain Bunn, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, hi, Matt. How are you? Excellent. So great to have you. It, it's, it, it seems like there's a lot of reasons why we could be afraid. But in the end, a lot of this just comes down to you know basic you know anxiety, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not so much fear that something's going to happen to the plane as it is fear that a person is going to have a panic attack. Uh Um, Of course, you could fear both. Yeah, right. Suppose if you could say, okay, you're absolutely sure, 100% sure that you're safe, then getting on a plane probably wouldn't cause a panic attack. But you know, there are people who, when they get on an elevator or a bridge Mm. tunnel, that is, of course, safe, but they still have panic attacks because... When you block exit, when you block the ability to get out of here, that becomes a problem. People who tend to have panic know that their best way to get rid of the panic attack is go someplace else. Mm -hmm. Something where they are, and they don't know what it is, but they know that where they are, they're being highly aroused. They're being pushed toward panic or they're in panic, and if they can get away from where they are, it will subside. Um, so anytime their escape route is blocked, it tends to bring on concern about yeah. a panic attack. Or it, when your escape route is at 30,000 feet. Um, and, and then what it seems like, you then you don't, you only need, you're already overstimulated emotionally, right? And then one more thing. Uh, and it could be something as simple as just banging your finger accidentally or pinching it in, in your seatbelt or a little turbulence. Well, there you go with the turbulence because that's usually the problem. You see, if there's a part of the brain uh, it has a funny-sounding name, the amygdala, but it's actually just a Greek word for something that you've 
nibbled on almonds. Mm. It's the Greek word for, for the almond. Uh, this part of the brain was originally named that because of its size and shape. It's about the size and shape of the amygdala uh, of, the, of the almond. But uh, they've since the, since it was originally discovered, they've changed their idea somewhat about the size and shape. But anyway, <laughs> they still call it the amygdala. Now, what it does is it sits there, pretty just behind the eye. It takes information fairly directly from the eye and ear and when you see something that's not routine, it will give you stress hormones to grab your attention. Now, it also will give you stress hormones if it senses falling. For example, mm. let's say you're up on a stepladder painting the ceiling. You're concentrating on the ceiling, trying to get the roller on the ceiling, not touch the wall, and you lose your balance. Yeah. Now, all this concentration on the ceiling, as soon as the stress hormones hit, because you, you will get them, as soon as the amygdala notices the feeling of falling, it's going to zap you with stress hormones. The stress hormones take that focus on the ceiling and just blow it out of your mind. And all you can think about is you're headed toward the floor. Well, right. that's good. Right. But think about now the same thing happening on an airplane. You don't need that, <laughs> but yeah. you get it anyway. When the plane drops, you get zapped with the same kind of stress hormone release as if you were in the danger of falling off a ladder. And historically, and this does. would have saved your life, right? I mean, this 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 was this is just the yeah. evolution of your brain, the amygdala, in order to protect you. You just exactly. don't need that protection right now. You don't need that protection right now, but on the airplane, you get that protection again and again. Oh yeah, and, again. Every and that's true, huh? The plane drops. So you get one shot of stress hormones after another, after another, after another. And something happens when you let the stress hormones build up. And that is, um, and this is, this is a little tricky psychologically, uh, this concept is called psychic equivalence. Psyche means the brain equivalent, of course, means equal. And what happens is that ordinarily when you imagine something, you know you're imagining it. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well, you kind of reflect on your own processes. See, if I look out the window here, I see green grass. I know I'm perceiving it. But if I wanted to see purple grass, I would have to imagine it. I would right. have to actually intentionally do that. Sometimes we imagine things without intention. They just We just do. And it's only through our reflective function that we can recognize the difference between imagination and perception. But what happens is, and this is where turbulence is a problem, particularly a problem, is that when the stress hormones build up, as they will after the plane drops again and again and again, the ability to distinguish the difference between imagination and reality disappears. Oh, so you don't have that tool. Yeah, when it does, whatever you're imagining becomes your reality. So if you happen to be imagining that the plane is falling out of the sky, as far as you're concerned, it is. Yeah. And that causes terror. That is one of the main problems that people have with fear of flying. So that is – so really – and anybody could even actually start creating the fear and the chemistry in the amygdala just knowing that next Wednesday you're flying. Right now you well, can start – thinking about it. Yeah, yeah ruminating sure. on it. 
is exactly. And, and what you do on the website, Fear of Flying, is is you start walking people. You have resources, you have tools, you have the, a program called Soar, and you can actually teach them how to kind of process through it. Yes, because now I, I, this is once again this is not simple psychology, but some people have a more robust ability to reflect on their thinking than others. Mm, yeah. And uh, this is not something that we necessarily have. It's something that has to be developed. And it's developed, they believe, when a child has a very secure early environment. When when they get stress hormones, the parents pick it up and say, honey, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. Uh, and, and also... The parents encourage you to recognize that what's in your mind, yeah, they might have a different opinion about your take on reality. Mm-hmm. So the child learns that just because you've got something in mind, it's not necessarily true. Some kids don't learn that. Yeah. And a person who has robust uh, if reflective function is probably not going to have trouble flying. Yeah. But a person who's reflective function is a little fragile, just a little bit of stress hormones hits, and it's gone. What we've found is that we have to find a way to control the stress hormones for people so that they don't mm. go into this state where yeah. they believe the plane is falling out of the sky. And what that can be, that can be done through when we have a primary system and a backup system, like many times in aviation you have backups. Um, there's a hormone that we humans produce completely naturally in certain situations uh, hormones called oxytocin. When oxytocin is produced, it goes to the amygdala and inhibits it so it can't produce stress hormones. Hmm. Now, this is actually genetically programmed into us, and you might think, well, why would nature set it up for us to have any kind of program that would shut down the fear system? We need the fear system, right? Right, right. Well, Nature has something else on its mind that it thinks may be a little bit more important than the fear system. To trump fear. Reproduction. Oh, interesting. Yeah, oxytocin is like the bonding chemical. Yes. Yes. It's not only the bonding. It does that. But when when oxytocin is produced, it also shuts down the fear system. Hmm. So in these situations where, let's say, a, a, a mother sees her newborn child... She produces oxytocin for bonding, but at the same time, it shuts down the fear system. Right. So there are five situations we can come up with. Uh, we know for sure produce oxytocin. So then we ask the client to consider which one they want to use to shut down the fear system. And then we go back to 100-year-old psychology, Pavlov and his dogs. Yeah, yeah. Pavlov yeah, right. fed the dog Conditioning. The bell. After, yeah, after a while he rang the bell, they would salivate. So let's say now what we want to do is we want to use that Pavlovian system. Instead of a bell causing saliva, we want when you walk on the airplane, that to cause oxytocin. Ooh. When you put on your seatbelt, we want that linked up to the oxytocin-producing moment, and so on through the whole flight. So each one of these then produce the oxytocin that overcome the stress hormone. Exactly. Powerful. It stops the stress hormone. So what we do is we have a list of things that are going to happen on a routine flight. You know what they are. Yeah. So we, we look for something that's going to happen every three or four or five minutes. So we keep... Conditioning. <laughs> we keep producing oxytocin 
again and again and again. Huh. Let's okay. do this, Captain Tom. Let's let's take a break and come back and and maybe give us some examples of, of what, what are some of those five things that produce oxytocin and okay. how you tie sure. them to these things that happen on the airplane. Uh, very, very interesting discussion with Captain Tom Bunn from the website fearofflying.com. If uh, all the news um, about getting on an airplane has been uh, amping you up and making you a little bit more anxious, this is the guy you want to hear from. We'll take a break, come back, continue to understand how to overcome our anxiety when we fly with Captain Tom. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. See, even the Stevie Miller Band, they get it. They get how cool it is to be able to fly a plane anywhere. Are you kidding me? Except if you have a little anxiety on board. It ain't so uh, It ain't so easy to make it through the flight. Joining us is Captain Tom Bunn. He is a, a pilot with the Air Force and also a licensed counseling social worker. He runs a website you got to go check out if you have any fear of flying. The website's fearofflying.com, and he has a program there called SOAR, which is a program that helps people overcome the fear of flying and really helps them manage their their stress hormones. Because if it's all about managing the chemistry. If the chemistry's off, it's going to create more and more thoughts that will create more and more chemistry or vice versa. The minute a little... Uh, turbulence comes in. That's all you need to create even more stress hormone. And so Captain Tom Bunn has been talking to us about um, his website, but also about this, the psychology behind it. Um, one of the tools he's been talking about to overcome the stress hormone is this is the chemistry called oxytocin. And uh, welcome back, uh, Captain Tom Bunn. And I'd love you to keep teaching us about how we can create oxytocin to kind of mitigate and eliminate some of the stress hormone. Okay, Matt, thanks. Yeah, let me mention that if, if, if a person wants to do this on their own, um, we have, what we want to do is we want to link oxytocin production to one moment after another that takes place on a flight. We have some photographs to help a person set this up and link things up at our website, fearflying.com slash photos. Hmm fearflying.com slash photos. Okay. Now, but what's the moment you want to link to perhaps going on the plane, sitting down in your seat, taxiing out, takeoff, cruise, and so on? The five things that we know produce oxytocin are when a mother nurses a child, there's more oxytocin produced there than any other mm. time. Uh, you can kind of see what the the logic is that if if the child's going to survive, it's got to have nourishment. The mom has got to spend quite a bit of time being calm enough to do that. And right. she needs to not be anxious and say, hey, I, I can't stand this anymore. I've got to get up and clean the house or yeah. run out and do something. It, it's so, nature's way of what, you know protecting the baby, right? Making sure exactly. that the mom doesn't exactly. get so stressed that she gives up on the baby. Yeah, so we could... That's if if a if a mother's done that, that's the best thing to link to because it produces the most oxytocin. Hmm. And then the thing we mentioned before, first 
time you see a newborn child. Um, it probably also would work if you pick up a puppy or a kitten, you know, that warm feeling you yeah. get make you feel protective of it. Okay. Um, another time oxytocin is produced, again for bonding, is sexual afterglow. Here yeah. nature's saying that, okay, we've got two people here. If we can get these two people to stick together, the child's got a better shot because, mm -hmm. after all, the mom's got to provide the nourishment. Who's going to protect the mom? So you need two parents there. And oxytocin is produced to help the two people feel bonded together. It's also produced in sexual foreplay, primarily in females, not so much in males, according to the research, so that the fear of getting physically close uh, goes away. Hmm. And the, the last one, I think, is wonderful. And that is, if you've ever had a dog, you know how your dog looks at you. Yeah. Like you're the only person in the world. <laughs> Total devotion. That produces oxytocin. Really? Now, does nature, why did nature do this? I don't think they did it for the dog's benefit. I think that that's actually what happens in good sexual foreplay when two people look at, you, at each other like, you're the only person in my life. Yeah, you feel safe. You feel, yeah, secure. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. So, I, I, of course, now we could say, you know, dogs are man or woman's best friend. <laughs> well, maybe they're more reliable than lovers. Right, maybe in, in many regards they are. <laughs> anyway, so we can use that. No. So, so is that so? If the, what you do is you, well, there are moments that everyone have felt some form of one of these, and they just have to get that into their mind. Yeah, you want to. You know, some people get misunderstand that you're supposed to do this while you're on the plane. No, you do this ahead of time, so that you know, if you were going to study a foreign language, you would just repeatedly put the English and the French or Spanish or whatever it is together, and after a while, they would become linked up. So right. one comes to mind, the other one does. Okay. Similarly, before your flight, we want you to spend maybe once a day for three, four, five days um, going through the photographs one by one in your mind. Actually, let's say this. Let's say you take yourself back to a moment with your dog. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and um, even if you're, you know, you, your dog's not with you, you can remember how your dog looked at you and just pretend that you're back there with the pup, and you're holding a photograph of uh, the plane cruising along by the dog's face. Yeah. So if you do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if you fly on Friday, when you're cruising along, you're going to get oxytocin, keep you calm. That's, I mean, it really is that simple. I mean, it's, it, your brain will do it naturally if you can just keep the thoughts in your head and, and connected to the event. Well, it, it, you, you're going to set them up ahead of time. Yeah, right. And when you get on the when you get on the plane, you don't have to do anything. It just it's, it's just, just natural. It's going to work for mm -hmm. you. Yes, yeah, it's going to work totally natural. So you don't even need like a, you don't even need to have a picture of your dog with you. You could just go That's look through right. those pictures, and just keep processing with that calm feeling in your head and your heart each one of those dif different situations. Yeah. Could That's this work right. with any fear, like a fear of speaking? Sure. Yeah, because any of any of these things that you can identify, you can link up. Let's hmm. say if it's, if it's a fear of speaking, you might want to get a piece of paper and write down a sequence of things that are going to happen. First of all, you're going to uh, walk toward the place where you're going to do the speaking. You're going to go through the door. You're going to be waiting for the event to start. 
you're going to walk up in front of people uh, and so on. You, you break it up into yeah. maybe a dozen or two dozen steps. And, and you link each one of them as a separate item to an oxytocin-producing moment. Now, let me mention also that I told you there's a backup to this. And the backup is based on probably the most important discovery in psychology. And it's done by a guy named Stephen Porges, P-O-R-G-E-S. When he was in grad school, he was studying something about heart rate. And uh, what he surprisingly discovered uh, was that when he had his subjects, his research subjects, other students, hooked up to his device that measured their heart rate very quickly, he found that their heart rate was changing depending on who they were looking at and how the person they were looking at was looking back at them. Hmm. Um, so what he, he got interested in that research. So he's, he's now discovered and what he calls the social engagement system. You know how we mentioned dogs earlier. You know, dogs kind of sniff each other out. Yeah, yeah. Determined by scent whether the other dog is safe to be with or play with or get away from. Yeah. Well, we sniff each other out unconsciously, maybe not through our nose, but yeah, we, through we... what we see in another person's face and how their face modulates, changes in pupil size. Uh, tone of voice, how much tension we pick up in their voice. Uh, there's many things that people transmit, signals people transmit, that they don't know they're transmitting. And we pick them up, and we don't know we're picking them up. It happens mm. completely unconsciously. Yeah. And if the signals, let's say you meet a new person, and, of course, your amygdala is going to say, hey, you, you got to be careful here. This could, person could be dangerous. It gives you stress hormones. But... If you start talking with them, let's say your heart runs up to 100 beats per minute. When you start talking with them, you're going to pick up signals, hopefully, that they're safe to be with. Usually people are. And so the signals are going to send a, a, a stimulate the vagus nerve, mm -hmm. the vagus nerve that goes to the heart, and slow the heart rate down some, maybe to 85. Now, this probably wouldn't happen with a person you first met, and it, it, it is even fairly rare in social situations. Ordinarily, when we get together with other people, we're competitive. We want to kind of say, hey, you know, I know the right sports team, or I can play tennis better than you, or right. I know better. And we're always making judgments and criticizing, and even advice giving sort of says, you know, I'm smarter than you. So you can play this game. It's kind of fun. But what Porges talks about is moments when you're with one friend and None of that stuff is going on. The person is not judging you in any way. Yeah. If you can, if you can think of a moment like that with a friend, and remember, even right now, you're probably going to feel your guard being let down because uh. that memory of your friend like that is going to profoundly stimulate the vagus nerve and slow your heart rate down to normal, even if there's stress hormones. So you really just need to get that idea in you need to you you need to know who that is and have experience yeah. in that thought process. Yeah, now once in a while I run across a client who says, "Gee, I don't think I've ever had that experience in my mm. whole life." Which Interesting. Is sad, but, oh yeah. But that but that yeah. also explains why they're your client. <laughs> exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like because they don't have they don't you know, they don't have that safe 
feeling of exactly. unconditionally love and safe. Which is what we need from our parents. Exactly. Hmm. And if we get it, then we are secure. We don't have trouble with flying. If we don't get it enough, then we have to be in control to mm-hmm. maintain I love it. Well, uh, Captain Tom, we appreciate you. Everybody, go check out this website, fearofflying.com, because then you go through it and they take you through other exercises, you know, what to do when there is turbulence, how to think through that thought process as well. Um, but uh, really powerful insight, Dr. Uh, or Captain Tom Bunn. Um, great work there at uh, fearofflying.com and the SOAR program. Boy, we all need it. And it's, isn't it interesting how it comes back to even how we were raised, how, we, uh, how our parents um, created a safe space for us to learn, to experience, to grow. Um, it always comes back to relationships, doesn't it? In the end, that's why uh, I, I love them and I love the, the ability to focus on them on this show and bring you the a great guests like Captain Tom to walk us through our own anxieties and especially our anxiety flying today. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, do a little wrap-up of this first hour of the show. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Interesting discussion with Captain Tom Bunn about uh, anxiety. Look at how much of our, our thinking impacts our feelings, right? So when you're trying to deal with any emotional issue, you've got to at least identify the fact that some of this is coming from how you think and what you think. Um, and, and I guess in the end, some of this too is going to come down to how prepared are you. If you already know you have anxiety about flying, then I really, I would go check out this website, Fear of Flying, and start going through the process. And some of you may have gotten a little lost in his discussion, because as he's talking about um, oxytocin, there's there's certain times in your life you have felt the benefits of oxytocin, right? And, and very basic times, feeding your baby, uh, seeing your baby for the first time, you know, maybe as a dad, holding your baby, a brand new baby, um, in in sexual activity, foreplay, afterglow, that kind of stuff, there tends to be a higher uh, dose of oxytocin. Um, or having a really calm, safe conversation with a friend uh, tends to do that for for many. Or you know the example he gave of just having a dog that loves you to death that was just your best friend. Each one of those are moments where your body was probably dosing you up with oxytocin. And the basic idea is simply take then the situations you know you're going to go through, like the anxiety of having to get in line for your tickets, and imagine yourself being you know, to the airport two hours ahead, a little anxious, but imagine those feelings of your dog loving on you, hanging on you, being with you, and going through the process with those feelings in your heart, but be thinking about being at the airport. Think about then going through TSA and having them violate you. And that's enough to induce anxiety for anyone. And imagine that, you know, you're you're looking at your dog, you're imagining your dog, you're holding your dog or your brand new baby and just the calmness that that brings while you think through that process. And uh, the research would show that the more you do this, you start conditioning yourself to actually just go to those natural feelings 
of oxytocin, which reduces the stress. And it works. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life, but I've also seen it just in um, in in the lives of of clients and friends that can just start to anticipate. So if you have a little anxiety, you, you might want to start doing some pre-work right now, right? Don't just think you have to go grin and bear it when you get there. Anticipate it. Start using your power of your mind. It is what separates you from the rest of the animal kingdom. You have this incredible imagination. You have this incredible insight. Let's start using it. Let's use it. Don't just suffer through the flight. We all do. But don't just suffer through it. Figure out a way to take advantage of it, to actually enjoy the process. Anyway, great stuff. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. More tools, more ideas. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Top of the morning to you. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this show. Not to just bring you the news and the information. You could get that pretty much at any news source, except we want to bring you also a deeper cut, more information um, about the things you need to know about, about what's really going on behind the scenes in certain situations, plus giving you tools to live your life healthier, stronger, to strengthen your relationships. Last hour, we taught you how to fly without freaking out. It's important. In light of the current news, Uh dealing with airplanes. As somebody that has to sit next to you on the airplane, I'd appreciate it if you deal with your anxiety before you get there. Please don't freak out. uh, We we had an airplane I was in once that was struck by lightning as we were about to land. Did you see it? Did Mm -hmm. you feel it? Oh, yeah. And I heard it. Because I imagine there's some people that people are just told, and you're like, really? Okay. You're like, we're coming in, storm hitting, the plane is rocking. We are coming in to land. So, you know, it's, to me, there's two critical times of every flight, right? Takeoff and landing. Yes. And it seems like even landing seems more critical than even the taking off. Yes. You know, it just it, seems it, like... It, it is a controlled crash. Yeah, you're at least close to the ground on the takeoff. Yeah. So we're coming in probably like three seconds away from landing and bam, you see the whole uh, airplane light up. Wow. And you hear tin... Just wah, 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 wah. Whoa. Crazy. And everyone screams. And this lady sticks her fingernails right in my arm <laughs> and is just digging them into my arm and screaming bloody murder and grabs her rosary, really? starts doing her rosary. That's great. And the pilot gets on and he's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa folks. We just were struck by lightning. Hey, you folks. So we're just going to circle back here. And oh, he aborted the landing. He took he flew back up and circled around and we tried it again. <laughs> and we had like five minutes of this woman's arm holding a hand, holding like squeezing my arm, hurting me. Taking a bone marrow sample. Yeah, it she was like, like <laughs> in, deep into the bone. And now, what am I supposed to do there? Like, how do you walk her? It's good. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Trust in God. <laughs> Trust in God. It was like it was the longest five minutes of my life. I personally, yeah. I, I mean, it's a little freaky, but you know, 
When the, the pilot actually said, looks like none of our systems were affected, so this will be fine. We're just going to circle back and try that one more time. <laughs> Nobody needs to worry. We're all good. He tries to calm everyone down. Mm-hmm. There will be uh, complimentary peanuts on the way yeah, out. But when a you. pilot's like, whoa, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, we were on. just struck by lightning. That was awesome. Did you see that? <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> so right there, that makes sense. Be nervous. But if, if, you know, if you're worried about flying next week, go to that website we were talking about, Fear of Flying, and start working on it. And don't forget your rosary. Apparently. Because, like, that's a great example of something that brings this woman peace. Yeah. So she probably but, should have had it out through the whole flight. But isn't that, like, something that would visually cause more panic? You look over and someone's praying. Doing the rosary. Like, oh, my gosh, we're going no, to die. I mean, You're like trying if, to no. calm yourself down. Maybe. And, but if, like, a, if a priest was, like, performing last rites, yeah. that would be scarier. <laughs> like, if you see that going on, then I'd, oh. I don't know. I'd buckle my seatbelt. i just put on my headphones and just kind of ignore that's what I like to Everything. do. Everything. I like to do that. And like, I like to take my shoes off. If you take your shoes off, mm. the people around you don't talk to you. No, because they're, they're gagging. Take your shoes off and you rub your feet. Oh. If you really want to be left alone, take your socks off. Rub your feet. Rub your toes. Like, and then I look at them and I'm like, I got plantar. Sorry about this. Can you hold my sock? <laughs> it's, it's great. Nobody messes with you. Hey, today, oh. by the way, uh, use less stuff day, which is great. This is yeah. great. Just thing to remember. Use less stuff. It's also International Men's Day. Go men. It was created in 1999 in Trinidad and Tobago. The main purpose of the day is to focus on the health of males. So men, get out there. Get the checks that you need. Go get the prostate examined. Well. Excellent. Just be happy you're a guy. That's kind of how I see the day. Yeah. I mean, I know it has to do with men's health. and you know, But just be happy you're a guy. Yeah. Just do what we can, though, to live longer. Go, men. Go, men. <laughs> Another today's have a bad day day. So take a hike. Have a bad day day. Day. Uh, it wasn't created to recognize that everyone has a bad day. Instead, it was created for people who work in a customer service environment and are sick of saying, have a nice day. Have a nice day. That would get annoying after a while. So this is a tribute to those that have to say, have a nice day. Like I usually tell people when I see them. First thing in a, in, during a work day or something, I say, morning. I don't say good morning because I feel that would be applying judgment upon what possibly I'm viewing as your day. I'm just saying morning. Can I give you a better thing? How kind of you. <laughs> just what, doing my part. You just say. Letting you figure out and label your own day. No, you say top of the morning to you. That's what you say. Then you sound like a leprechaun. Or like Rude. you're from what are you, 1940. A, yeah. That's you. So I just say, morning, or have a day. What if it's not morning for them? Well, then I say, hello. Just kind of keep it neutral. That's good. Yeah. Or when you say, you know, That's what good. kind of day are you having? I say, I don't know yet. It's kind of early. It I'll depends. let you know. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking this too much. I do. You just, you just say, hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Just can give them a nod as you walk mm-hmm. by? Uh-huh. Now- once you've given them a salutation of some kind and you see them 10 minutes later, are mm-hmm. you still obligated to give them a good morning or a hello? Or can you just walk by without offending? Yeah, I just I don't even look at them. Okay. I, I start shunning them at that point. I've experimented. Uh-huh. It depends on the person. Some people greatly offended if you don't acknowledge them and every it's weird. time you like walk by. It's weird by in our office. building because we walk down halls and you've already said hello, top of the morning to you. And now every time I walk by you, do I still need to greet you? Yeah. 
I don't, I don't know what the social rule is here. Yeah. There's some sort of contract I'm not aware of. I think there's something about if you're looking up to the ceiling or to the wall or down, you don't have to say anything. Okay. I can only fake like phone calls <laughs> so often as I walk down the hall. Oh, hello? What? Uh-oh. Uh, hey, Wrong Mom. Number. Yeah, it's weird. See, that's one of those weird social moments you just have to figure out. That's well, what life's about, figuring out those awkward little social moments. Right? Yeah. I think if you're open and you just say no, I already said hello to you. Well, we ought to probably send it out to everyone. Say, once you have greeted one person, somebody today, and given them a, your hello, is hereby policy that you do not need to keep greeting each other. That's actually how Germans do it, and it's awesome. Wow, Germans. See, Germans, set, see, they're smart that way. They're yeah. so far ahead, so advanced. Like when I go to church in Germany, like I'd shake people's hands, and then they'd forget that they shook my hand, and they went to do it again. And they were like, wait, I already shook your hand. I'm not going to do it again. Wow. <laughs> really? Like stop mid-shake. Well, that, that might just be more you than Yeah. Like You're policy. kind of forgettable. Yeah. In a good way. I, I mean, walk in the room every time and go, who's that? Oh. Oh, that's I the, think it's the same that's guy. That's Brian. You mean Ben? Yeah. Hey, uh, got a great guest coming up. This was a coup because producer Kim Lee, um, she worked her head off to find McKay Coppins. We'll be talking to him in just a few minutes. He's a BuzzFeed political reporter who in 2012 was embedded with the Romney campaign and spent a year chasing and following Romney. And he's going to talk about what it's like in these crazy campaigns. It's it's a great interview. Uh, McKay Coppins, he, he's, he's just funny. He's got a lot of stories. So we'll talk about what it was like working and following the Romney campaign for a year. Then we're going to get into all of the candidates that are running today. And he's got a little scoop. There's some interesting information. Ooh. I asked him, what do we need to be watching for? And you won't believe it, but it has something to do with the Trumpster. So stick with us for that interview. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's up? Thanks, Matt. The, the Paris ringleader of the, of the Paris terrorist attacks has been eliminated, would be a good way to, to put it. French police have confirmed that uh, a, a pre-dawn raid by commandos on Wednesday, the uh, Paris public prosecutor said during a press conference that two people were killed, seven were arrested during the raid. One of the people killed was the suspect they were looking for, the mastermind of the, the terrorist attacks, uh, a- along with his cousin, a female cousin, who mm-hmm. was wearing a bomb vest of some kind and blew the, the building up, which apparently there's not much left of the third floor of that building right. as the police put 5,000 bullets in there. <laughs> uh, President Obama was in the Philippines. He's on a, a tour of different nations. When he was asked about a, the comments some Republicans have been making against allowing Syrian refugees into the country, Senator Ted Cruz is not happy being singled out by the president for his comments about only allowing Christian Syrians a refugee status in the U.S. It is utterly unbefitting of the president to be engaging in those kind of personal insults and attacks. And, you know, he also, he talked about how he was belittling the Republican field as scared. Well, let me suggest something, Mr. President. If you want to insult me, you can do it overseas, you can do it in Turkey, you can do it in foreign countries. But I would encourage you, Mr. President, come back and insult me to my face. Let's have a debate on Syrian refugees right now. We can do it anywhere you want. I prefer it in the United States and not overseas where you're making the insults. Mm. Do it to my face. That's what intense. A, a sitting senator of our country said. Wow. Get back the, here and we'll, we would love to debate you, but get in country. Don't be don't be putting us down out of country. 
it seems like there's a lot of juvenile things happening on mm-hmm. all by the way, sides of this argument. This interview with our next guest, McKay Coppins, he's going to talk about Ted Cruz and give us some background on Ted Cruz that you may not know. Like he is, he's a sharp cookie. He's an interesting he's guy. He's a tough dude. Honduran police say they've detained five Syrian nationals who had stolen Greek passports and were trying to make it into the United States. They came from Costa Rica and had been trying to get to the border of Guatemala. There are no signs that this is all related to the attacks in Paris, but. Hmm. There was an issue there. New York City Police Department announced Wednesday evening that it's aware of the new video purportedly released by the Islamic State warning of an attack against New York City, but said there are no current or specific threats. Hmm. So they're aware, but there's nothing there. And Bernie Sanders interviewed in Rolling Stone. Oh, boy. They asked him about his taste in music. He said it probably doesn't really reflect well on the the audience of Rolling Stone. They're not going to like it. He says on his iPad he has all of Beethoven's symphonies. He likes classical music. He's a child of the 60s. He likes Motown, The Supremes, The Temptations. He goes, I'm one of the few human beings, and this will not pull much favor with the reading audience of Rolling Stone. He likes disco. Oh, you can totally see that. He likes ABBA. Mm. He 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 says we played ABBA at my wedding in Russia. I'm not sure if that was the wedding or the honeymoon, but okay, part yeah, of that ended point. up in the Soviet well, yeah. Union. Uh, he also likes the Bee Gees. He goes, I'm I'm pretty across the board. He goes, I like Celine Dion and country music. Wow, I wonder what he thinks of the Beeb, the Beebster. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if he's a believer. Huh. Wow, that's kind of weird. I mean, d- your president. It's, it'd be hard to go from Obama to Bernie Sanders because just the President Obama's so hip, so cool, so smooth. Hmm. Interesting stuff. We're going to take a break, friends. When we come back, McKay Coppins will be joining us. He is a, a political reporter for BuzzFeed, uh, which is a website that in 2012 was just up and coming, and now it's a huge sensation online. Um, but he was he was embedded with the Romney campaign, followed him for one year. He's got a lot of interesting information about what goes on behind the scenes in these political campaigns. And then we're also going to be talking about all of the candidates uh, and what's going on and what he hears as he's around town chasing down uh, all of the candidates. Stick with us, folks. Interesting interview coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you've seen the BuzzFeed articles with titles like 21 Pictures That Will Make you uh, make Sense to People with Siblings, or how about this one, 18 Reasons Why Parents Can't Stand Caillou. You know, BuzzFeed is the source many people turn to for a minute of humor or a touch of 90s nostalgia, but it isn't necessarily the place you would always think to go for hard-hitting political updates. But you know what? I think that might be changing. Um, That is because of our next guest, McKay Coppins, is joining us. And McKay is a senior writer for BuzzFeed News Politics. He also followed the Mitt Romney team during their campaign uh, in 2012 and is now in the midst of another election season. McKay is joining us here in studio to talk about the ins and outs of political writing with BuzzFeed and his experience on the road with a presidential candidate. Thanks for being here, McKay. Thanks for having me. Great to have you um, because I've, I've been dying to talk to you or somebody that's in the know like you. First of all, BuzzFeed. Let's talk about that for a minute sure. because 
back in 2012, it seemed like there was a real ugly maybe feeling about Internet news <laughs> versus kind of the traditional news, the New York Times, you know, the Wall Street Journal kind of mm-hmm. people. Did you sense that back in the day? Well, so I joined BuzzFeed at the very beginning of 2012 in January, and I was coming from Newsweek, which was you okay, know, it's a very yeah. like venerable legacy mm-hmm. print outlet, right? Uh and it was a lot of people at Newsweek were like, thought I was crazy that I was like Why? leaving this huge yeah. national magazine uh, to go work at this, what was then basically a startup. I mean, BuzzFeed in two, early 2012, all they did, all they were known for was, you know, the the headlines you uh-huh. just mentioned and cat videos and <laughs> funny memes yeah, and stuff like exactly. that. They basically aggregated funny or diverting content from Man. the internet. Um, but they had just hired a, 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 a veteran political journalist to be their editor-in-chief and to build a news outlet on top of that. Cool. And so I, I was excited. I mean, I was 23 at the time, so I was just like, I want to... And they were offering me a chance to go out on the campaign trail, which is not something most 23-year-olds get. So right. I was all... I was into it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was on the plane for that whole year with New York Times, Washington Post reporters, like, and there was, I think, a sense first of just confusion, uh-huh. like, why, who is, why who is, is this Buzzfeed punk? here? Yeah. <laughs> What's Buzzfeed? But I mean, but but our and we only had four political or four political reporters total at the beginning. There okay. were only twenty five total employees of Buzzfeed at the time, and basically our strategy was just to try to break news, like uh-huh. compete for like small scoops and prove that we're real reporters. Right. Uh, and and by the end of the campaign, we were totally accepted as part of the national press corps. It was part of the team that was following the different campaigns so yeah now and now it's i mean so fast forward uh a few years and now buzzfeed has a thousand over a thousand employees globally are you kidding Um, and we have how big is your news department Oh, it's hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, it's we. we I'm based in New York City, um, but we have a big DC bureau. We have a big tech news bureau in San Francisco. That's great. And we have teams all over the world. And like, we have you know reporters in Paris this uh-huh. last week covering uh, covering the attacks there. So we're we're now a, a global news operation, yeah. and it's uh, it's been exciting to be part of that. What was it like? I mean, we see all of the candidates now. Bobby Jindal just got out. We see mm-hmm. we see these candidates. It's What's their life like? You flew with <laughs> Romney on the plane, I guess. You traveled with him. Yeah. You'd hang out. What is – this is years, two years of just beating your head against the wall. No, it's insane. I mean I was always shocked at how I, – I think – you know, whatever you think of politicians and the candidates and their various positions, once you actually see what the the campaign is like, what a national campaign is like, you have to at least respect like how grueling it is and yeah. the amount of work they put right, into it. Right. I was always shocked, but Mitt Romney especially surprised me because uh, he. So uh, it was fam- he famously uh, didn't drink caffeine, right. um, which is like insane <laughs> on a presidential like campaign cycle. Because I, I was I was basically maintaining his same schedule, and we often would get into a hotel at one in the morning and be told that we had to be ready to be scanned by Secret Service at five in the morning. So we had like four hours in our hotel. Holy cow! Uh, and, and that was like a, a common thing. And, and Mitt Romney <laughs> famously not only did not drink caffeine, but would wake up half an hour earlier than everyone else to go for a jog. So it's just like I mean it's just crazy. It's a crazy yeah. thing. You're giving five or six speeches a day, um, and, and it also makes me appreciate you know when politicians say dumb things, especially presidential candidates. You realize the margin for error, like it's going to happen oh, yeah. when you're giving that many speeches right. every day, and right. you're just talking all day, and you're that tired. Well, so. and you guys are probably bored much of the day because you've heard <laughs> the speech so many times <laughs> that to hear something new, you're going to jump on that. I, like, I had I had Mitt Romney's stump speech memorized cold. 
Like the, really? the, the 25 minute stump speech, I could give the entire thing. And, and yeah, and that was the other thing that like because he was so disciplined and on script the entire campaign. Yeah. Anytime he added one new line, it was like 500 headlines were written about it. You know, <laughs> because you were just, we were just begging for yeah. any new information. Yeah. You what know? What are the candidates like with you? Do they see you as their friend or foe? What are you to them? I mean, there, I think that there is a fundamentally adversarial relationship, and as it should be, yeah, that's right. how the political press, you know, they they shouldn't they should be fundamentally adversarial. But but you spend so much time, and you're kind of in the trenches uh-huh. together in a way that like. Um, it depends on the candidate. I mean, Mitt Romney was not the kind of candidate who would go and like pal around with reporters. He did occasionally, right. but some of the candidates do. It's more with their aides, the like campaign manager or like the campaign strategist who travel around all the time. Uh-huh. Like you do develop a rapport with them, and and it's the one of the fun things about being a political reporter is is having them scream at you one day because of a story you wrote that they were mad about, <laughs> and then like three hours later, like you're joking around about something. You know, like you're that's just how it, yeah, that's just how it works and like you have to be okay with that but i i think it's actually pretty fun do you it seems like after months with uh, years with somebody you'd actually become fond of them you would Mm -hmm. like them just as a person do you get do you have an affinity with them do you or do you can you really stay i mean i don't know how you can even stay objective right well i mean it's funny because i mean the cynical way to put it is that you end up with a kind of stockholm syndrome where you've been been captivated (laughs) by or you've been in captivity with this like candidate for so long and like you basically eventually just turn to them as like yeah Uh but i mean i think you end up respecting them in certain ways even if you totally disagree with their politics or certain positions and you also you know acknowledge kind of the cynicism of politics and you know the hypocrisies but at the end of the day i think you do come away with and you know if nothing else kind of an appreciation for like their humanity and how difficult this all is and so yeah when when you're hearing them give a concession speech Mm. what is that like because this is the end of your Captivity. Yeah, this is no. The I end mean, I was deal. I was in the room when 2012, when Mitt Romney gave his concession speech on election night in Boston. I mean, it was a it was just a weird it was a weird kind of surreal yeah. feeling because I'd been a it had been a year with nonstop following this campaign. Ugh. Now giving a concession speech. I mean, for me, I think I was I understood like on a basic human level, like mm-hmm. I had some empathy for him because I was like, this is a hard thing that he had been working on forever, and now it's over. You know. Ugh. Uh, but at the same time, like, I also had a little bit of, like, relief that I was like, it's over. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, whatever it is, I, I get to go now home. go see my, like, wife and kids <laughs> and, like, be asleep in my bed. You yeah. Know? Were you gone? You were gone that entire time? Would you I mean, fly no, home? I, would come, I would come home. I would try to come home on the weekends if possible or, like, certain days throughout mm-hmm. the week. I mean, there are some embeds uh, that call them embed reporters, uh, for especially for, like, the TV networks, who literally will give up their apartments in D.C. and New York and just live in hotels the entire <laughs> Oh my heavens! But I, I didn't have it quite that bad. I, yeah. I was able to come back. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, that's. I mean, sick. it's insane it's for your insane. job. I guess. I mean, is it? Um, what's it like between the journalists? What do you guys feel about each other? What um, do you think? You well, you, there's obviously like a certain level of competition, uh-huh. right? Um, and, and you're in it together to a certain extent, like. 
when when you want more access to the candidate, when you want to try to create more opportunities to grill the candidate, ask them questions, we there would often be moments where all the reporters would get together and be like, all right, we need to present a united front and yeah. like convince the campaign to give us more access, right? But then a lot of the time you're competing and then a lot of the time you're just like grumpy because you've been on the <laughs> same bus together for like weeks right. and you're just sick of each other. But like overall, I will say it's like a... It's it's almost like I, I don't know what the experience how to how to relate it to some other segment of life, but you do come away at the end of the campaign with like feeling a certain camaraderie with those reporters yeah. that's always there because yeah. you're like we were we went through this crazy ordeal together. You yeah, know? <laughs> I mean it's like it's like going to Vietnam. Yeah, well, it's, I was gonna I didn't want to compare or it to war camp. because I'm not at war, you know. Yeah. But like even or, or for uh, for Mormons, it's like a mission. It's you know? like, like yeah, you're, your mission buddies. Yeah, exactly. It's, so it's like true. we we've been through this all together. You know Isn't that interesting. But then there's the competition, mm, definitely, and you want to get them, and and yet, do you? How do you? I guess you're just trying to angle with the with the candidate and their team. Yeah, to I mean, get something. sometimes you're negotiating away from people. I mean, anytime a, one of the senior strategists like walks off with one of the reporters, the rest of the press corps is trying to figure out what his what? angle is, what he's right. trying to do, um, and, and you know, there's it's there's a. Difference, you know, sometimes the reporters are all talking about like, oh, I'm doing this story, I'm working on this story. And then sometimes certain reporters will break off and, and like be very, you know, secretive about what they're working yeah. on because you don't want to get beaten on the story. So it's just it's a weird experience. Do, do you remember with Hillary Clinton and next we'll take a break in a minute and um, talk about the current candidates. But do you remember this year or was it? I don't remember this year. I think it was Hillary Clinton when she just announced a bunch of her press corps. Ended up running and having to chase her down. Do you remember that? <laughs> that was from what I heard from my colleague who covers the uh, at BuzzFeed who covers the Hillary Clinton campaign. Yeah. Said that it was mostly foreign reporters who okay. were doing that. But she, yeah, but I mean, look, the the thing about I, and I think the Hillary Clinton campaign is a lot like the Romney campaign in that like there's not a ton of access. It's all it's a big kind of very well run professional machine, and it's there's like 16 layers of bureaucracy to get to the candidate. Yeah. So sometimes you really are just like clamoring for like any like Anything. you know just to ask one question or get one picture like it, it does sometimes devolve into that well then do, do the rest of you look at those people like ah what a bunch of goofs oh yeah you I, do I, not I, run i think sometimes you do but but i mean i will say i remember in in 2012 uh, during the end of one specific uh campaign swing it ended on i want to say lake michigan or some big lake with you know sandy beaches and i remember all the reporters kicking their shoes off and like it, it, mitt romney was walking hand in hand with his wife just down to like look at the water for uh-huh. a few minutes and all the reporters kicking their shoes off and scrambling down the beach <laughs> to, to try to shot. like get a good shot and i was just like man this is this is what my life has become do you ever like, just sit there and wonder like what am i doing <laughs> oh, oh i've had many of those moments definitely <laughs> that is so funny we're speaking with mckay coppins from buzzfeed um he's there one of their news uh political team members but mckay one of the things that seems really interesting um, is just the pressure of something every day. You have to deliver mm-hmm. something daily. Yeah, I mean, and it depends. Like, I, I will say in 2012, because our team was so small and because we were really trying to make a name for ourselves, I was filing sometimes more than one story a day, oh, and they yeah. were short little things. Now, though, our team is much bigger, and, and I have the luxury, and, and it's this great place to be in, uh, to to take a couple days or a few days to work on stories. And, like, okay. I'm doing a lot more enterprise reporting, which, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes get out of the campaign bubble and just go out and interview people and try yeah. to, you know. So so that, that's that been great. Um, but, I mean, 
that said, the cycle, the the election cycle is going to speed up, and like once you know, come January when everybody's in Iowa and New Hampshire, and you're scrambling around, there's going to be a real appetite for news. And are it you goes going back to bed? Are you going more. to be in with one group now? Right now, I'm just covering the Republicans in general, and okay. I have one other colleague who, and we're both covering the Republicans, and we just kind of rotate through the forth. candidates. I think that you already, like you said, Bobby Jindal dropped out, so the field is starting to narrow, and yeah. certainly next next year, early next year, it'll start to narrow a lot more. And then I'll probably be on just a couple of candidates. Okay. And then are you – I mean one of you is going to eventually have to go with the GOP nominee. Mm-hmm. And I think that – I don't know how we'll handle it. Every every outlet has to figure out what their strategy is. I imagine that the two of us will take turns yeah, in betting. Yeah, tag team it. And, and to be frank, like this is one of the problems of political journalism that everyone's trying to figure out is how much do you actually want to embed in the campaign? Right, right, because right. sometimes you do end up in a situation where there's 60 reporters all writing identical stories mm-hmm. and you start to wonder like – I mean, this is all live streamed online. Do we actually need to be here right, uh-huh. like writing up what right. the stump speech is? So I think our strategy is to try to uh, find unique stories, unique angles, um, sometimes embed in the campaign, but then just as often travel the country and talk to voters and, and do those kinds of stories. You really give your life, though. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And I think it's the same with campaign consultants and campaign yeah. uh, aides that, you know, once every couple of years, you're, this is your whole life, right? Yeah, this is all you're and, and then things slow down a lot. I mean, after the campaign, things slow down a lot. And uh, a lot of political reporters will kind of move on to other beats and then mm-hmm. come back to politics. Yeah. Once there's nothing, the thing is, there's nothing like a presidential campaign. I mean, you really do have the whole nation tuning in to watch this. And yeah. it's fun to cover something like How that. How cool is that? We're speaking again with McKay Coppins uh, from BuzzFeed. Uh, he was embedded with the uh, with the Romney campaign, like for a year, a year and a half. Was year, it? yeah, man, alive. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about this year's candidates. I'm going to get. I want his take. Uh, what does he think? Because there's a lot of characters out there, and uh, maybe even get an idea of, you know, if he has to trail one of them, who's going to be the most fun to trail? We'll have more with McKay Coppins right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Hey, uh, we're grateful to have McKay Coppins with us today. He is on the political team with BuzzFeed News, uh, previously with Newsweek magazine and um, is a reporter, political reporter, was embedded with the Romney campaign for about a year, got to just travel with a presidential candidate back in 2012. And he's back at it again, uh, doing a great job. And, and really, we wanted to pick his brain because here we're in the middle of the season, still 14 GOP candidates and you and another BuzzFeed reporter are responsible to figure out what's going on in the GOP. Yeah, I, well, and this has been a long time coming. I, I've uh, after the last election, I took some time off and started working on a book about kind of the future of the Republican oh, Party, cool. right? The fight over the yeah. future of the Republican Party. Uh, and it actually comes out in a couple of weeks. But the title, I think, kind of tells the story of where we are right now in this election. The, the title of the book is The Wilderness. And you really do have, I mean, 
the, this election cycle is unprecedented um, in a number of ways. We have more um, Republican presidential candidates, serious candidates, uh, at least as of a few months ago, running for the Republican nomination than ever before. Uh, in, in history. Yeah. So, I mean, so th- it's it's really crazy. And, and I think it shows uh, a real, you know, sense of uh, confusion and kind of chaos in the party. Like where what yeah. is in the post-Obama era? What does the Republican Party stand for? Well, it does feel like we, you know, some of the candidates are in the wilderness. Like they really are. <laughs> they're 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 in a place that but and they're accepted and getting great mm-hmm. polls, except they're. They're they're in unprecedented territory. Yeah, well, I mean, look at the the front runners right now are Donald Trump, yeah, who's a you know no political experience, a real estate and reality <laughs> TV tycoon, right. right? I mean, who's really kind of this bombastic, uh, larger than life, crazy figure? And then you have Ben Carson, uh, who also has no political experience, who's a neurosurgeon, very different kind of attitude and style, but also an uh, fundamentally an outsider. I mean, the fact that those are the two front runners for the Republican nomination says a lot. About oh, the party. Totally. I mean, these are outsiders yeah. combined at one point not long ago. Their two levels of support made up fifty percent of the party. So, so the, I mean, there is a real thirst and a- appetite in the party for somebody who's not kind of entrenched in Washington and entrenched in the political. system. Do you feel that as a reporter that's out on the scene in Iowa? Do you feel what everyone keeps talking about? Just kind of an angry anti-establishment feeling with the people. Yeah, yes. I mean, absolutely. I think that there there and it's not sometimes it's very angry, sometimes it's just frustrated mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh but yeah, I mean, people are just they're they're sick and and, and it's bipartisan, right? People are just right. sick of Congress. The the approval rating for Congress has reached historic lows. It's in some, you know, at times been at the in single digits, mm-hmm. right? So so people are just fed up with Washington. They don't feel like anything's getting done. They don't feel like the problems that they want fixed, uh, you know, a languid economy, a, you know, national defense, foreign policy that then all of these things are kind of just stuck, right? Uh and, and so I understand the sentiment. It's tough for reporters because part of our, you know, our job is I, I see a political reporter's job covering a campaign is twofold. One of them is to take the questions and concerns of voters to the candidates and challenge them on those right. things. And then on the on the flip side, you know, uh, report and interpret and give context to uh, what the candidates are doing for voters. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and it's hard when you're covering somebody like Donald Trump, who just doesn't play by any <laughs> traditional know. rules. Yeah, uh, often his cam his his speeches are just rife with with you know statements that are just actually inaccurate, factually inaccurate, right? And it's just uh, you don't know really where to start. Even right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like Buzzfeed needs a list, a list of the top twenty. I mean, but it, it would be like two hundred long, right? Exactly. And so, so yeah, so it's an interesting time. But I, I will say also just a fascinating time to be yeah. to be covering a presidential. Campaign. You now having come from the Mitt Romney campaign that was so into the kind of the GOP establishment, what's it like looking at Jeb and Rubio and I guess Jeb and Rubio? <laughs> right. Uh, what's it like to see them struggling to mm. get enough? Support. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I traveled over to right before Jeb Bush announced his campaign in May, I believe it was. I uh, I was one of the reporters who traveled with him to Europe. He did a kind of a three country yeah, swing through that, Europe. Yeah. 
and and the po- the point of that trip, as his campaign aides told me, was to show that Jeb Bush, you know, has the experience, has the foreign policy knowledge, uh, that he'll be ready out on day one to assume the Oval Office, right? That you know, and regardless of what you think of it, I, yeah. I will I will say, coming away from that, he did he had a depth of knowledge that a lot of candidates don't have, and yeah. he was having very uh, in depth conversations with foreign leaders and uh, dignitaries and diplomats. Um, and and talking to him, you know, we we talk. We, he would talk to us off the record. We kind of had like an hour long uh, chat with him, and you came away with the feeling that he he has a certain seriousness yeah. about about the job. Kind of wonky, uh, kind of. Yeah, he's very he's very interested in policy. He takes the job very seriously. Obviously, his brother and dad have both mm-hmm. been president, so he has some idea of what it what it means. Uh, and. And I, I, without you know, betraying any confidences about what he said, I'll say that he certainly is not happy and, and kind of baffled at you know Republican uh, voters flocking to candidates yeah. like Donald Trump oh, he and does Ben not, Carson. Yeah. He just can't he can't fathom why it's, this it is probably the case, makes him right? mad. Like, what oh are you, yeah, he's I mean, messing this up. If you look in the na- at the national polls right now, Jeb Bush is in single like mid single oh, digits, four or five six yeah. percent. Donald Trump is you know in the twenties, even thirties. Uh, um, that said, like Jeb has made a lot of mistakes in his campaign. Marco Rubio is on the rise, um, a much younger candidate, not quite as much experience, but also somebody who takes it seriously and has yeah. a, a deep grasp of, of the uh, of the issues. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where we'll end up, right? I mean, it's hard to make predictions, and, and everyone always asks me, so who do you think yeah, will end up being think? the nominee? I mean, I, I hesitate to make predictions because this cycle has been so oh. unlike anything in yeah. history. Uh, I mean, I would still guess that at the end of the day, a candidate like Marco Rubio or Jeb Bush will will end up being the nominee. But this could be. I mean, there have been cycles in the past that just defy all mm-hmm. conventional wisdom. You keep so. hearing stories that the establishment, the GOP establishment, whoever they are, air quotes, that they're going to turn and just start hammering hammering yeah. do you sense that, do you sense that's real is that doable i mean does that I mean, exist yeah it's it's just a hard thing to do there's definitely a sentiment i mean there are people chomping at the bit to yeah. do that i mean i i talk to the i talk to republican strategists and mega donors all the time mm-hmm. who are like we need to take donald trump down but it could very easily backfire. I mean, when Trump's entire message is the Washington establishment is out to get me, right. but I stand for you. If all of a sudden we see, you know, big super political action committees and, and Washington groups uh, carpet bombing the airwaves with anti-Trump ads, you could just as easily see that backfire and actually help Trump. Mm. So that, I think that's why you've seen a lot in the Republican establishment kind of sit back and hope that somebody else will be able to take him down. Well, you keep hearing, Scottle, and I don't know if it's real or what, but Romney, you got to get Romney back in there. You got to get somebody that can mm-hmm. re-energize, that still has the base to go yeah. jump in at the last minute. Is that a pipe dream? Is that not realistic? I think that that's mostly being fueled by high-level supporters and donors that Mitt Romney has okay. uh, who want him to do it. Yeah. And that's not nothing. I mean, these are you know politically influential people, uh, and and they have a whole you know my my book actually without giving too much away because it's embargoed goes into detail about some of the plans Does that it? his his supporters have. Uh, to, even even to you know hopefully get get a nomination from the convention floor you hear people talking about that yeah that would be crazy uh, if you got to the con- if you got to a scenario where you got to the convention and there wasn't a clear nominee yet 
but I mean, look, I don't. There hasn't been any sign yet that Mitt Romney himself wants mm-hmm. to do that, right? right? And that's what that's what matters. Yeah, exactly. Does he want to go jump back in on that? Yeah, I mean, that's. It, I think he probably would love to be president. He obviously mm-hmm. has been chasing this dream for a long time, but he also is a, a very practical, pragmatic person. Who do you think can handle from the GOP side? Because that's the side you cover. Who can handle Hillary the best? Who could? Well, there's a there's there's different lines of thinking on this. One is that a, a candidate like Marco Rubio, who's young, Latino, speaks Spanish, mm-hmm. uh, very dynamic and kind of charismatic and media savvy, that that he would be like Barack Obama was in the 2008 Democratic primaries. Yeah, right. He's a very similar type of candidate, and that you know that's how Obama took Hillary Clinton down. Um, so so a lot of people think Rubio might be the best bet for Republicans. But on the other hand, Hillary Clinton has a, ton, a lot of experience. Oh, she's yeah. been secretary of state. She's been a senator. And she's been in. She's lived in the White House for eight years. And so if we, you know, given the attacks in Paris, given the growing terrorist threat abroad, if the national attitude uh, is turns toward, you know, we need a, a grown up and a leader who has a lot of experience mm-hmm. with this stuff, you could see Hillary Clinton very easily defeating someone like Rubio oh, yeah. because he's so young and exactly. kind of baby faced. Yeah, it's almost new. like you need that whole movement anti establishment to be on Rubio's back. Right. Exactly. In order to yes. make it work. And maybe, you know, he did win. I will say Rubio became a senator by taking on the Florida Republican establishment. Sure. He was running against then the Republican governor of Florida mm-hmm. and everyone thought he was crazy and he ended up winning. So he does have experience in channeling that sentiment. Yeah. That said, he's now been in, in Congress for a while and and he's now seen as more of an establishment candidate. Oh, so. wow. And then did you just sit there and see like a Cruz make a comment and you think, oh, boy, that's perfect. <laughs> well, I need I, to get that out there. I mean, Cruz, I, I, Cruz is an interesting he candidate is. because he is, on the one hand, very, you know, very much of this anti-establishment yeah. mindset. I mean, he he was the leader in the government shutdown of 2013. He, yeah. you know, he really is kind of a bomb thrower. A At great same, debater. He's totally. Pretty, he's great with his words. I mean, he and yet and, steps in stuff that seems like. Well, yeah, no, he, I mean, he makes he makes comments that you will hear from like members of their party establishment that are like he would get destroyed in a general election. <laughs> exactly. At the same time, he's brilliant. I mean, he's yeah, brilliant. He's and a lot guy. of people don't realize this. He was, you know, an appellate, uh, a, a, an appellate litigator argued in front of the Supreme Court, had a, a, an extremely good record there. Yeah. So he, he's, he's brilliant and he has the elite credentials that the establishment would want. It's just a question of whether he could actually, you know, get mainstream support. Yeah. Oh, my heavens. Uh, McKay, before we let you go, um, what should we be looking for what's other than the book your book's coming out called the wilderness when will it be released december 1st so just a couple december weeks. 1st and it's a, it's about it's kind of the behind the scenes yeah in the GOP. It, it's a narrative it, it's a it, we tried to make i tried to make it you know interesting it's an entertaining story yeah. about all this huge cast of characters and they can follow you at mckay coppins m-c-k-a-y-c-o-p-p-i-n-s on twitter at mckay mm-hmm. coppins but what's one thing we should all be looking for that would you know, just a little heads up, like just pay attention to this. Um, I, I think that the biggest thing to pay attention to is what happens to Donald Trump. I think one of the and one in particular thing, he, you know, one of the things that's fueled his rise is that while, yes, he's angry. Yes, he taps into this anti-establishment. He's had an immense amount of fun doing it. Yeah. And that's kind of contagious. And uh-huh. people are like, you know, he says politically incorrect things. Exactly. And he's so fun to watch. Um 
now that he's actually being challenged in the polls, he started to slip. There have been glimmers of him being a little bit crankier, yeah. a little bit less fun. Yeah, more of a loose, even yeah, more of a loose cannon. more of a loose cannon. He had a 90-minute tirade where he <laughs> you know, said a lot of crazy things about Ben Carson. So I would just watch as you, you continue to see the news coverage of Donald Trump. Does he seem like he's still enjoying yeah, this? Because yeah. I think that will be a signal to whether he, uh, he'll continue to dominate the Or is the he going to have a meltdown? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A nuclear meltdown. <laughs> Excellent stuff. McKay Coppins from BuzzFeed, we appreciate you. We know you got a busy schedule today. So thanks for being here, and uh, we're going to all start uh, following you more. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm excited for the book, The Wilderness. Good stuff, folks. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, continue uh, the journey here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, interesting interview there uh, with McKay Coppins. It, it really, the behind the scenes is so crazy when you think about what's going on, what they, what just even the journalists have to go through. I mean, imagine how many chicken dinners you sat through, you know, on a Romney plane or on the Romney bus. Hmm, the Romney bus. That sounds like a great bus. Hey, uh... Did you hear this latest and greatest? Have you ever heard of a Pastafarian? It's probably like a Rastafarian, I guess. But a woman who belongs to a church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster is allowed to wear a pasta strainer on her head in her driver's license photo. Due to religious beliefs. The AP reports uh, uh, from Lowell, Mass., that resident Lindsay Miller says wearing the colander allows her to express her beliefs like other religions are allowed to do, according to the AP. The Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster is a satirical uh, movement promoting a lighthearted view of religion. Members of the church often are referred to as Pastafarians, and the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles says usually head coverings are not permitted for licensed photos, but exceptions are made for religious beliefs, according to the AP. So uh, if you are a Pastafarian, you get to wear a colander on your head. I think I received a pamphlet for the Pastafarians oh, really? a couple months ago. Yeah, well, who, really? It was like a cookbook, uh-huh. like a, a cookbook of like Spaghetti recipes. pasta dinners. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great religion. <laughs> I mean, it, high carb. Oh, yeah. High, high carb religion. Oh, yeah. Other than that, a colander. Honestly, do people not have something else to do in life? Like, I mean, I get it. It's a good joke, I guess. But I mean, like, don't you have a dog that needs to be walked or a child that needs you to help them do their homework? I don't know. A job, maybe a job. Well, I think they do this because they don't have those things. Yeah, it just seems like, ah, I don't know. I don't want to get down on people, but wow. And it makes sense. I mean, if somebody has a profound religious belief that they, and they need to wear, you know, something covering their head, that is obviously something that's really funny to make fun of. I mean, that's a 
that's where you want to hit somebody. It's a colander, religious headwear. Hmm. I don't know. People. People. I mean, it's it's just crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? That we, we sit and we have all of these problems in the world, terrorism, and yet because we have the freedom of speech, we have to do it at all costs. I don't know. I'm about to just go off. Thanks for holding me. Calm. Ben. Um, yep. Anyway, watch out for the Pastafarian. You never know. You never know where you'll find one. Uh, we are going to take a break, folks. And that's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show in the can. Next hour, we've got a great guest coming up, um, Alema Harrington, who is one of BYU Broadcasting's um, uh, hosts of one of the sports shows. And we're, we're going to be talking with him about a very sensitive issue about addiction. And he's going to be giving us the inside story of his own addiction and and how he's uh, overcoming it and and learning to to deal with addiction and recover from addiction. It's a it's a fascinating story and I think it'll uh, motivate everyone. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show Man, if you've missed uh, the first couple hours, you got to go check them out. We, uh, in hour number one, we dealt with, uh, you know, overcoming anxiety on in air travel. If it freaks you out, if it scares you, go look us up on iTunes or you, uh, uh, iTunes or TuneIn or BYURadio.org. Three places to go get our podcasts, and uh, we'll give you some really cool tools to manage your anxiety. Last hour, we spoke with BuzzFeed's McKay Coppins about uh, the Romney campaign and uh, also all of the candidates. McKay uh, spent a year in 2012 traveling with Romney as he was trying to uh, win an election, and he had some really interesting insight. He has a new book coming out. We will. We spoke to him, and you can look that up again on iTunes. Tune in or... BYU Radio. Today, uh, also this hour, great topic coming up, the dangers of addiction. And uh, in a few minutes, joining us will be Alema Harrington, who is a broadcaster uh, for the Utah Jazz. He's the host of Jazz Game Night and an Emmy award-winning television broadcaster. Also uh, does some pregame and postgame shows for BYU TV and the BYU Cougars. He played with Brigham Young University um, on their uh, football teams back in the day. And he's here to talk about addiction and and his own personal story of addiction and overcoming addiction and his recovery. Anyway, powerful stuff, powerful story. We'll be getting to that in just a few minutes. Before we do, let us uh, also talk about what in the world is going on. They, China is now on board. China is on board in basically saying we're going to help combat ISIS. Beijing has vowed to bring ISIS to justice 
after the group said it had executed two hostages, a Chinese person and a Norwegian, and uh, it's not – it's in the game now, which is a really – it's a big announcement because of all of the time, the last 14 years, that people have been fighting terrorism and Afghanistan, the Iraqi war, all of those things, China's now on board. So a coalition with China, with Russia, with the United States, France is more on board than ever. It looks like ISIS has built an enemy, built an enemy list that, uh, you know, they might regret. Those are certain countries... You know, it would have been easier to keep China out of it. But they kind of did this on purpose, too. Sure. It yeah. feeds into their, their narrative. They sort want, of mythology they, that they believe. They want the world against them. Well, they got it. They got it. Now they're all going to come right down to their place. and Just go visit. It's called Raqqa. Yeah. They're going to Raqqa the Raqqa. That's where France has been bombing the last yeah. few days, and that'll pick up. The U.S. is going to start bombing there more. We're bombing other locations, but Man. Yeah, it's going to be uh, be a fun time there. But it's fulfillment of prophecy for ISIS. The caliphate, they're attacking the caliphate. They're also really angry that the refugees are leaving. Yeah. They're supposed to be coming to the caliphate as a place of refuge, a place of safety, yeah. unifying the, the See, religion. That's where, but but that's where there's common ground. People I mean, aren't buying into that. There's a lot of countries that are angry that refugees are leaving. Well, yeah. And coming. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I mean, the U.S., more than, I guess, half of the U.S. population, you know, they don't want to accept refugees right now. It was like 53%, I think, yeah. I saw on one, one poll. It's a, this is a crazy time. And again, it makes sense. There's the threats now that terrorists are sneaking across the border with the refugees. There were four caught in Honduras with Greek passports yesterday. They were intent on making it to the United States for whatever reason. Man, which hasn't been, I guess, found out yet. But who well, knows? they're just here for. It's tourists. That's why tourism. you. That's why you're trying to go through Honduras to get to the United States. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> oh, it's a crazy time, isn't it? So, you know, luckily we've got a lot of really wonderful politicians on it. They're now battling over it. Everyone's throwing in their two cents worth. So we'll see. We'll see where this all goes. Um, Ted, Ted Cruz wants the president to saved his comments to his face. Yeah, Ted Cruz is taking on the president, and the president's <laughs> out of the country making some statements, and Ted Cruz is like, yeah, you come back here, I'll debate you anytime you want. He's trying to do a, like a, the Dixie Chicks from several years ago where they went to, they were in Europe, yeah, we're and they, made, they comments made comments against President Bush, and then it just Backfire. kind of messed up their whole career yeah. because they did that. They were seen as un-American. It's kind of that sort of feel where he's like, oh, he's on, a, he's on foreign soil making these comments, you know, and shaking <laughs> his fist. It's kind of funny. It's crazy. I mean, it really is. It's a weird time. And, you know, now what do you do? Now you've got all these countries that want to be part of a coalition. None of them really want to get their boots on the ground. Nobody wants to go walking in there. I, I, I actually know a guy that – They get sand in their boots. They get sand in their boots. I, you know, they keep talking about they need they – need, on the boots in the ground with special forces, they need these air controllers that can then help guide the planes in and tell the planes where to hit. And those are the special ops that they're supposedly putting in there and the more that they want more of them in there. I know a guy that just finished that program. And he – in my head, I'm like, you walked right into it. You're going to go – you'll be the guy that goes in there. But – Interesting thing. He's excited to go do that. He wants to get in there. Let me in there. Let, I can get accuracy of these bombings. I can do that. And yet, ugh, 
Do we do that? Do you start putting more men on the ground? Mm. What, 10,000 more Americans? Is that what we need? They keep throwing numbers out there. Mm. It's hard. It's hard. And the po- the population, we, you know, the majority doesn't want it. We don't want more of that. And yet, wait till you know, people are coming from Nicaragua to... Yeah, to try to come to up try, to the southern border. Yeah. But I mean, our borders are safe. Sure. We... For whatever reason, reasonable, you can Do you remember the, I don't know. Last year, the guy dressed up like Osama bin Laden and walked across the border. <laughs> See how easy it is to get in? Yeah. He just floated across the river, got right in. What are you going to do? And you can get in looking like Osama. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, crazy stuff. Let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything else going on around the world? There are. Uh, Paris authorities announced that it's been confirmed the French law enforcement has caught the alleged Paris terrorist attack ringleader that they feel they... He was uh, killed in a pre-dawn raid on Wednesday as commandos went after a uh, apartment in a suburb of Paris. So that's been confirmed. New York City Police Department announces it is aware of a new video purportedly released by the Islamic State warning of an attack against New York City, but they say there are no current or specific threats that they know of. Congress may vote on a bill today that would try to stop the Obama administration. Uh, their play to take in more Syrian refugees. Speaking of the... Uh, the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, both have voiced their support for a pause in admitting the planned 10,000 refugees. Senator Marco Rubio had this to say yesterday. It's not that we don't want to accept people that are coming in this country, it's that we cannot, because we cannot conduct effective, reliable background checks. And if you admit a 10,000 people, and 9,999 of them are good people, and one of them is an ISIS killer, you have a problem. A congressional aide told CBS News that this bill will either be voted on as a standalone or wrapped up into a package of other bills. But either way, the point is to try to stop the Obama administration from taking in more refugees. Contrary to what political pundits thought may happen, American voters aren't suddenly throwing their support behind candidates with foreign policy experience in the wake of last week's terror attacks in Paris. Instead, outsiders, outsider candidates Ben Carson and Donald Trump have remained atop the polls. A Bloomberg policy survey out Thursday shows Trump leading the Republican primary field with 24%. Carson comes in second at 20%. Everybody else a distant third. A, a Reuters poll out Tuesday found that 36% of Republican voters saw Trump as the candidate who would best be best suited to deal with the threat of terrorism. Hmm. Followed second by none. Is it just because he's so tough? I guess. None got 17%. So you, I didn't even know Sam Nunn was running. You had... Trump, every other candidate, and none. And none Holy got 17% God. of the vote. Wow. When it comes to confidence of who can deal with ISIS the best. <laughs> According to a Pew Research survey, out of 11 countries with significant Muslim population, an overwhelming majority of people in the Muslim world dislike the self-declared Islamic State. The overwhelming majority. That's great. In none of the countries did more than 15% of the population indicate favorable attitudes towards ISIS. Lebanon, Israel, Jordan expressed most unanimous dislike for the jihadi group, while Pakistan only indicated 28% dislike, with a 62% majority offering no definitive opinion. Hmm. Interesting. And that's very interesting. That's, I think, part of the problem, right? Until the majority or until the thought leaders of the Muslim world come out and talk against it and speak against ISIS, you're going to have this problem. You're going to have... The confusion. And, you know, are we making that easier or harder? We, a lot of times in our own rhetoric, our own language across the country, we end up offending Muslim people all the time. Like, 
you know, only allow Christians in. Let's only allow Christians in to the United States, no Muslims into the United States. I mean, we got to be careful what we're saying, how we're saying it. And, uh, you know, the Muslim world probably needs to open up, be a little more vocal if they could. Let's uh, we'll deal with that on another day. In fact, we really are. We're looking for a guest someday that can talk to us about the reason why the Muslim world is not being more vocal about it, or at least why are we not hearing it? We'll get into that on another show, but we got a great topic coming up next, um, and we've mentioned this a lot on the show. You know, uh, over-the-counter drug addictions, they're going up. They're skyrocketing, and then it becomes a gateway to heroin and to other drugs. Uh, joining us uh, in just a few minutes is Alema Harrington. He is a, he's a broadcaster, an Emmy Award-winning television broadcaster, and host of Jazz Game Night, which is uh, the the local new or radio show and television show, sorry, for the Utah Jazz. And he's going to be joining us to talk about his very own addiction and how it started and how easy it is for anyone to fall into addiction. Also, he's going to walk us through how he's recovered and his process of recovery. And now he is actually a counselor at Renaissance Ranch Outpatient Treatment Addiction Recovery Program. We'll be picking his brain on addiction, trying to figure out the ins, the outs, and uh, what we need to watch out for. And uh, especially for the people we love. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Got a great guest and a great friend on the show right now. Alema Harrington is joining us. Alema is, uh, he's a broadcaster for nearly two decades. He doesn't even seem that old. He's currently the host of Jazz Game Night. He's an Emmy award-winning television broadcaster uh, and and a friend of BYU. Played for the Brigham Mm -hmm. Young Cougars. 84 national championship, 84 through 88. So people always ask like, so what what does that mean? So that means Robbie Bosco through Ty Detmer. So I had the overlap to Did those you quarterbacks, really? and that, that that helps people put it into context. Yeah. They're like, "Oh, okay, okay." What position? I was a running back. That's right. Yeah. How'd you do? I, was, uh, I had uh, more. I had more yards in one game as a high school player than I ever had my entire career at BYU. Did you really? Yeah. It's just a different game, isn't it? <laughs> it's but, completely different. You but, get here and you think you're this superstar, and you're yeah. like, "What?" But you were probably you were a superstar in Hawaii. Sure, yeah. I mean, but everybody was not in Hawaii, but yeah. wherever they came from. Yeah. And, and so then you get here, and it's like, yeah, wow. It's, it, it's a it's a real uh, it's kind of a rude awakening, uh-huh. and and an opportunity to kind of discover yourself or lose yourself. You no, know, and, totally. And guys do this, you know, one or the other. But th- those were those were some big football years. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. So you were you were. So we come in on the heels of Steve Young, yeah, right? right, and 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 then Steve getting drafted with with the uh, um you know the NF- USFL USFL and. And, and then Robbie Bosco coming in the next year, yeah. we win a national championship, go undefeated that year, beat Michigan, and and then you know a couple of uh, good years, mm-hmm. and and so I have you know, and then I, have a, I have a few you know rings and in, in, in that's great. <laughs> I have a national championship ring and some some whack championship rings yeah. from back in the day. And but you got good stuff, good memories. So is the addiction? Is did it start then? I mean, you mm-hmm. you get pounded in football. Yeah. So the interesting thing for for me was that I'd had injuries before. Right. You know, growing up playing football, we all do, and and uh, and minor surgeries and different things, and I've broken my nose several times, and and all, all these different 
injuries that I had yeah. when I was in high school, I was never once prescribed a narcotic painkiller. And so hmm. when I got to BYU, um, I had a, an injury, and I don't remember what it was. It was something minor. And uh, I was prescribed Percocet, yeah, uh, which is a strong uh, pain medication, a narcotic pain medication, oxycodone, and, uh, and some Soma, which is a benzodiazepine. It's a muscle relaxer, but uh, hmm. uh, also has an effect on the reward system in your brain. And, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know what was yeah. going on. I didn't know that I was necessarily susceptible to that. And um, I remember the first time I took an oxycon, or oxycodone or a Percocet and, yeah. a, and a Soma. And I was over at Helaman Halls in John Hall, uh-huh. which was the, where the football players, where we stayed. And uh, I still remember the euphoric feeling that just took over my body. And it didn't happen all at once, but I, I remember, you know, wanting to have that feeling again, mm. you know, the next time. And uh, and then, you know, that that grows into you know, drug-seeking behaviors as the brain, the brain wants takes it. over, you know. Um, That's the disease, right? Because yeah, then, then the brain wants it, and the brain yeah. keeps feeding that need. And so those are the things that I learned after. Yeah, you didn't know You know, this. I didn't know those things when it was happening. Right. And so there was a lot of abuse and then addiction for me uh-huh. that happened before I became aware of what I was even dealing with. What did it do to your family life? I mean, it's how do you maintain family life when your brain's always wanting something else it it's difficult if not impossible eventually it becomes impossible because it, it does take over the part of our our brains our amygdala that is yeah. is in charge of our survival and so it, it becomes so powerful matt that that it becomes more important than anything everything you know yeah, I mean, and, even a kid a baby yeah, whatever, it, does, it doesn't like matter and, and 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 it seems it seems so Insane, uh-huh. which it is, um, and so there's there's some shame associated oh, with it. Yeah, that, weird like, guilt. Man, how yeah. can I how can I be doing this? Yeah. And at the same time, that powerful that part of your brain is say, saying it doesn't matter right now. We just got to get more drugs. Yeah. Well, see, then you beat yourself up, which is just more pain, mm-hmm. and then your body's like, "Oh, we can fix that. Just get yeah. more of this good feeling." Yeah, absolutely. And it's so a cycle. it's it you know it perpetuates itself. In what do that you regard. say, Alema? Because then people are like, "Oh, come on, just." You just got to get your character out there and get yourself together. Yeah, just yeah, pull yourself just, together. Yeah, just like I still – I can still remember my father who's a, a great man, yeah. Al Harrington, and, and he had come up here to Utah to try to quote-unquote rescue his son. And, you know, the a series of events took place and, and, and I lied to him and I stole some, some medication from my grandparents. Uh-huh. I mean all these horrific things that I was doing. And finally he looked at me. He had said several times, you just need to be a man and stop. And and I remember thinking to myself, man, if it was that easy, yeah. you know, then I would do it. Right. But I, I couldn't. No. And, and then finally he just, you know, figuratively threw his hands up in the air and just said, I, I can't help you. You need some professional help. Interesting. And that was, that, that was helpful because he, he wasn't equipped to help me. Yeah, and he and, recognized yeah, and that. And I needed to go someplace where people knew what, what I right. was dealing with. Well, and luckily, I mean, the hard part is you, no one in your family knew how mm-hmm. any of you would re- respond to this. Sure, yeah. So, and now all of a sudden you realize, okay, we're not good with this. I mean, some, yeah. I guess, don't have this addictive tendency, yeah. right? So, you know, basically we're looking at 10% of the population. That's mm. kind of a rough number. Okay. And at the same time, you know, I was just up at Weber State 
speaking to their student athletes um, as part of a program right. to, to help them be aware because, uh, you know, they're exposed to these narcotics because they're being prescribed for the injuries oh, that, that, that they, they have. And so, you know, the things that come into play are, are genetics, you know, yeah. the 10% part. And then there's exposure. And then there's other social, you know, you know, elements that come into yeah, play. Tendencies, you know, yeah. A lot of athletes have this thing called entitlement, and we think that, yeah. you know, that, you know, those rules don't apply to me. And that's not, you know, that, that happens to other people. Right. It's not going to happen to me. And that's not exclusive to athletes. I mean, a lot of us have that, that feeling. Uh-huh, you know, yeah, of, right. Of elevated sense of yeah. self. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So when those things come into play, then, you know, it becomes very difficult to address the issue. Mm-hmm. And the thing about addiction that they, they say it's, you know, one of the few, if not the only diseases that will try to convince you that you don't have it. Yeah. You're, you, it's, yeah. Like, oh, it's not a problem. Yeah. You know, there's so much minimization and manipulation and justification mm-hmm. that, that is involved, especially, Matt, when it comes to the prescription medications. Now, talk about that because, yeah, right. I mean, if you were doing, you know, crack and yeah. heroin in the subway, yeah, that's like we know <laughs> yeah. that's bad. Yeah. But you're just taking yeah. a drug that a doctor, a has, doctor prescribed has prescribed for, for you. a it's broken medi- leg. Yeah, whatever. it's medically indicated for your mm-hmm. condition. And so in your your mind, it's already, well, this is okay. Right. The doctor said, I, I, I trust the doctor. I'm not a medical professional. And, and he knows better. So he's giving this to me and saying it's okay. Mm. And so, you know, it's so easy for whether it's the pain medications or the anti-anxiety, yeah. the benzodiazepines, right. whether it's Xanax or, or – uh, like Valium, uh, Valium yeah. right? Th- that class of drugs. And even, uh, you know, we see a lot of abuse now and even addiction to some of the sleep medications. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember all their names. Yeah. In fact, I know people that go to Mexico to buy them over the yeah. counter. I guess you can buy them they're, there they're, just without they're prescription. powerful, powerful yeah. drugs. Yeah. It's crazy. Isn't that hard? That's, we're talking about like Ambien, Ambien. and that, yeah. that category. It's uh, It really is when I think about it, it, it but it's still not... It's not as it's not as um, what's the word? It's not as big of a deal. Yeah, it's not as stigmatized. It's stigmatized, right? yeah. As it, in the same way that let's say, oh, yeah. he's got a needle in his arm, he's shooting yeah. heroin, and then and that's not necessarily the case either. Right. You know, my my drug addiction finally took me to heroin, but I wasn't shooting it up. I was smoking it. I was, yeah. I was you know snorting it. Yeah. Same thing with but the you oxycontin. have to right because it's cheaper than. And it's more it's, – yeah. it's easier to get heroin than lying to 15 doctors. Right. And- so I and, – and I tell people all the time that, that I work with as clients that, that are on uh, on prescription pain meds, I say, if you stay in this game long enough, you'll be, on, you'll, you'll be buying heroin on the street because it is – it's easier. It's cheaper. It's not safer. It's certainly no, – because you no. never know what you're going to get on right. the street. That's right. And right? In fact, and there's places where yes. they're dying because – No, the- absolutely. Um, and you know, I, I think it was in Texas where they had a, a, you know, a rash of uh, yeah. heroin that was laced with fentanyl and, and people were dying. And and so, you know, you're going to end up that route because if, you know, you stay in the prescription game, mm-hmm. you either have to buy prescription drugs off off the street or from a dealer, which yeah. is horribly expensive, and or you, you end up, you know, having to, to go to 15 doctors, right. like you mentioned, well, and, and now, then, then, now then they track it. that. They're tracking it yeah. better than and I mean, my they'll, doctor's they'll shut always that down. talking about it, like, yeah, yeah. how much work he's got to yeah. do. Following up on this, and which which are all good things as far yeah. as prevention is concerned, and monitoring that, 
Um, and even in, in some of the work that I do that is outside of my counseling and talking to, you know, the, the, the kids, student yeah. athletes about it, you know, there's an education that's important. Yeah. And at the same time, there's two components going to be, you know, education right. and and for for prevention and then education as far as redemption or recovery, right, recovery is concerned. Well, and that's it. That's why I'm glad you're here because we don't talk about this. We mm-hmm. hide it. We yeah. push it away. No, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things that it's like, oh, you know, we don't talk about it. In fact, I've got a client and, uh, you know, obviously I'm from the Polynesian community. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, you are? <laughs> I'm, Where you know, did that have Samoan and have Caucasian. Yeah. And in in our community, the yeah. Polynesian community, there's a it's almost like oh we don't talk about this, and it becomes a cultural thing. Totally, it's like oh let's not talk about mm-hmm. that, and so we'll just ignore it, and um, and it needs to be addressed, and totally. it's okay, you know we're we're understanding more and more today that we're dealing with a, a brain disorder, yeah. a disease. And it's okay to, to, to come forward and say, and even, for, you know, especially for me, to come forward and say, man, I'm, I'm struggling. Yeah. And my disease is, is, is either, you know, it's, it, you know, coming back or. It's chasing you. Yeah, right it's yeah. chasing me. I had an interesting conversation because Doug uh, Robinson wrote this, this great yeah, article on the Deseret yeah. News, right? And, um, and, and so there, there was some response from that from the community. And, and I was at Renaissance Ranch, our outpatient uh, um, facility in Sandy. And a guy had just kind of wandered in there. He was a sales guy, and, and uh, he was selling something. And he said, oh, you're a Lemma Harrington. So I read, I read that, that article about you. That's awesome. But, but now, man, you really can't screw up. And I thought, you know, that's that's exactly uh, what we're trying to. That creates this pressure. Yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to address here is is that. You know, you wouldn't shame a person no. that had cancer and their cancer came back. You know, they, right. they it was in remission and then, you know, then it came back. Yeah. You know, and they wouldn't be embarrassed. They wouldn't be ashamed like, uh-huh. oh, man, you know, it came. And, and we're dealing with the same thing totally. with addiction. And and so, you know, as as an addict, that means I have to continue to treat my disease or hide but there's, it. Yeah, or hide it. And you can't hide yeah. it because then you shame it and then you shame yeah. it. And, then you and get once you deeper. start hiding it. And for me, mm-hmm. the, the kind of addict that I am, I could only hide it for, you know, you know, yeah. not very long. Yeah, everyone knows pretty quick. <laughs> well, well, whether I was in the public eye or not, no, yeah. speaking of the kind of addict I am, yeah. you know, the, my, my brain takes over and I've got to have it all the time. But, you know, what's interesting, so do you notice that now that you're on air talking about it, sharing it more, the shame goes away? Yeah. No, you absolutely. Because you don't have, it's just better to keep, so that is saving you. Talking about yeah. it outwardly is saving you. Yeah. No, there's no question. The, the two, two things I think that are beneficial from where I'm at today in my recovery, yeah. because I've had different stints of, re, uh, of recovery where I was sober for, you know, seven, eight years and yeah. then relapsed. This is when I was at Channel 5. And then, then even in, within the last 10 years had, you know, struggles mm-hmm. and, and relapsed. And the thing that, I, that I'm doing now is I'm carrying the message aggressively yeah. Yeah. as a counselor because I have a, 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 an SUDC, a substance use disorder counseling yeah. degree, and then also talking openly about, look, this is, this is what I'm dealing with, mm-hmm. and it's okay. You That's know? good. And, and, you know, and, and helping the rest of us to, to know how to address it and yeah. not to keep having you push it back under the rug. Yeah. We, I mean, keep it out there. Let's take a quick break, uh, Alema. We're, we're talking with Alema Harrington. We're going to come back, and he's going to walk us through some of the things he does as a counselor at Renaissance Ranch uh, Outpatient Treatment. I mean, it's interesting. He's It's the everyday story, but it's 
it's the story no one tells. Yeah. It's cool. Alema <laughs> Harrington helping us understand uh, about addiction recovery and helping others be able to step up. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Alema Harrington, host of uh, Jazz Game Night. He's a broadcaster, ex-BYU football star, stud, gorgeous <laughs> rock star. Alema. And good friend of Matt Townsend. And we just People found, don't out, know I just found out you're a poly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've known each other for a long time. we have. It's been yeah. years. I've been years, a probably. huge fan of yours for many years. And, you're and, a stud. And, uh, you know, the, the things that you teach and present, great present. I used to come... You know, I don't know if I've told you this before. Yeah. I used to come to your class, yeah. right? My wife and I came yeah. to your, your marriage uh, class, and I used to s- just watch you present. I know, it was creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it was so creepy. You're a great presenter. Thanks, you are. <laughs> well, that says a lot because you know presenting, for heaven's sakes. Hey, um, you got addicted uh, mm-hmm. just as an average player. You're, you were the 10%. Yeah. You drew the short stick, yeah. and all of a sudden you become addicted for how many years has it been? Twenty. Yeah. So let's say for, since 1984, you know, I've had that struggle, and there, there have been times when it's been acute, like yeah. really bad, Game and there's on. been other times when you know the disease is in remission, and so you know it's, it's something that you deal with con- con- continually. Yeah. It's not like it ever goes away, but um, but it is know. a sickness, and I that we we think it's a we think it's like you know you're not righteous, you're not yeah. your character's off, yeah. It's you're just not a good person. It's man. cancer you're, of the you're brain. Just really weak. Yeah, it, I mean that's what we do, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? And then that induces guilt, and then you yeah. have to almost either hide it, yeah. and act like you're not weak, mm-hmm. or just shame your way through it, which yeah. just creates more. And of I, I think that that that's a great point. There's so and and if there's anything that I can help bring to it, I would like to be able to help people not feel the shame yeah. of it, yeah, and and feel like you know what I can I can talk about it. And it's okay. Is that and what they I, say when they come to you and yeah. you're a counselor at the Renaissance uh, Ranch outpatient treatment program? When they walk in, you might need – I guess you need to help them feel safe enough to start talking yeah, about it. Absolutely. And it's, it's funny because you know, we, we talk uh, with, our, with our clients and, and the expectation is not that they're going to tell us the truth. Yeah. The expectation is that that hopefully if we do our jobs right, they'll tell us the truth in increments. Yeah, they'll, they'll eke it out. <laughs> yeah. They'll be like, well, I use like, you know, 10 Man, you know, a day. Right. Well, okay, I was using 30. You yeah. know, it's, it's like and, – and so – but we understand that right. because we've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. Yeah. You know, as as an addict, I've I've been, you know, the guy that's, that's bold-faced lying. So and, in, in the center, do you see them – Incrementally, they start giving more mm-hmm. and more and more until when they're starting to really get healthy, they're just saying everything. Yeah. And and really, if you look at the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which yeah. which we use, and so does the church's program, yeah. ARP, Addiction Recovery Program, they've adopted the 12 steps from, from Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and powerful tools, the 12 steps are. But steps four and five are, are very 
important because they talk about looking at ourselves. And, and if you were going to take you know the 12 steps and try to put it into like gospel principles, it's yeah. really faith, then repentance and con- conversion, change. You know, different yeah, parts of change. those steps. But that repentance process is really being able to own that for yourself, mm. you know? Yeah. Step five in Alcoholics Anonymous is admitted to God, to ourselves, to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Huh. And so it's being able to see that, man, I just have really been so selfish and prideful. And the things that I that I have done were, were based on, on fear, yeah. you know? I, w- I was being ruled by my fear of judgment or whatever it is. And so... You know that's a it's a cleansing process when they when we come through that then i can I can come out on the other side of that and be okay with myself and mm-hmm. once I'm okay with myself, then I'm okay in front of anybody yeah you, you know? can do I don't have you, to, yeah you I can don't do anything put up a front for you anymore right you know I'm not trying to impress you I'm not seeking the honors of men yeah. so to speak and I'm it's just, interesting okay. all of that is still just that's almost just the aftermath of it all mm-hmm. but you still have the brain chemistry. Yes. So but it's almost like you need your you need to be in that neutral space, not mm-hmm. the negative space to then be able to deal with the brain chemistry. Yeah. And and you know, you if you talk about addiction specifically as a disease, there's two components of it. One is very acute and it's called the phenomenon of craving which happens in the amygdala, which is the brain telling me that man, we need more drugs or mm-hmm. we're going to more alcohol whatever or we're going to die. And you can treat that by just putting somebody into detox and getting them abstinent, getting the yeah. chemicals out of their system. But the secondary part of the the disease, Matt, that, that is is confusing and difficult to deal with is the obsession of the mind, yeah. which is that part of our brain that justifies and says, you know what, I've been sober for six months now. I can use a little bit. Or yeah. like I have a really bad toothache. Yeah. And it'd I, mean, be I can't okay. endure pain forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. <laughs> so the way that we treat that is with the twelve-step program, That's or powerful. with the spiritual component, uh-huh. which means that we're just we're we're asking we're we're literally asking God, saying, "I can't do this. I need your help." You need. And to I take need. This. I need your help. And step two is came to believe that the power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Isn't that amazing? That's sanity. I mean, insanity is. I know that this is bad for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Try it one more time. Right? Yeah. And, and sanity is what I have today. My sanity today is. You know what? It'd be nice to have that that you know instant gratification, yeah. that relief, but it's not worth it. So I'm not going to do it. That's Isn't sane. that? Oh wow! Because that's the. All of a sudden, something as, as simple mm-hmm. as the twelve-step process is—you're really just letting God or a higher power mm-hmm. take it. Yeah, and it is amazing. Yeah. But it is the—it's still the best philosophy and yeah. plan to get people out of addiction. Yeah, and not not just addiction, but you know, I, you know everything. I, it, Don't you think the, that, marriage that's what problems? You, you go to everything. church. That's, that's what right. you learn anyway. But but this is a real powerful practical application yeah. and that that I'm that we as as addicts get to to be exposed to and and for that reason I I I'm grateful yeah. that the relationship that I have with my my heavenly father and my my savior today yeah. is is what it is because it you know I had no choice That's I right. had to go there and so my testimony is absolutely yeah. real and even if you fell you still now know yeah. more about that relationship, so you can probably 
get back yeah. faster. Similar to like that guy that walked in and said, oh, now you can't screw up. This, yeah. I, I pray that if I do, if my disease comes back and gets acute and, and I use again or relapse, that I, I can reach out and say yeah. to my, my, my support system, my sober support system, man, my disease is back. Because it, it's a stress-reactive oh, disease. Sure. Yeah. And stress gets in your life, and, yeah. and that's our natural reaction. So, you know, I, I, I pray that, that I can and I, I will have the humility to say, oh, man, I, yeah. I need some help. Yeah, I need it, some, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Well, Alema, you're a hero. That's cool. I mean, really, and I appreciate you sharing it because now people can know. They can yeah. share. If Alema Harrington, <laughs> jazz host, <laughs> it's a big can deal. I, can I tell people Football where star. to call us? Yeah, please do. At 572 Heal. If, they, if, they, if you got a family member, or go to renaissanceoutpatient.com. And there's great resources there because, you know, families struggle, too. I know that oh, yeah. Christy Dixon yeah, was on your on show, and, she and she's fantastic. Yeah. She and Rick, her husband, uh, uh, do a great job. In fact, we got a family group tonight in our Sandy location. 572 Heal. Five, or what's seven, the website? Heal, or renaissanceoutpatient.com. Awesome. Alema Harrington, uh, go check it out. Go call 572 Heal if you need some more support there. We'll be right back with our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation, uh, Jerem Jordan and uh, Jason Shepard today. Hello, gentlemen. I was hoping you'd play other side, but this one's good as well. Is this okay? Mm-hmm. Well, chili peppers never hurt anybody. Oh, yeah. A little so chili peppers. chili peppers. I love the chili peppers. Hey, Alema Harrington just left. Alema! I saw Alema a few he, minutes ago. He was just hanging out. I like Alema. Alema's a great guy. Worked with him for several years. I like Alema a lot. He, um, you know, I didn't know he was on the championship team back well, in the day. Freshman, wasn't he? He was, yes. He, he uh, I believe he redshirted that year. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he was on that team. That's pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. He has a championship ring. Hey, um, uh, Spencer, where'd he go? Can, can you tell us? Something fun? Uh, make up, let's make off. something up. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. Let's make something up. Oh, make something up? Let's just say a hearing. He had a hearing, a police hearing. Uh, jury duty, I believe, is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get these stories going so we can, you know, push yeah. up your Twitter feed numbers. He he saw the movie Jury Duty and then decided that would be what would best benefit him right <laughs> jury now. Jury duty with Polly Shore? Yes, Polly Shore. Oh. You don't get th- enough Polly Shore. No, no, do, Polly do, do, Shore. Not in 2015. Do, do the younger generation do they even know Polly Shore? I doubt the it. Greatness? No, of no. no. Paul Shore. <laughs> Paul. Felipe Shore. Can you call him Paul? Well, he's Paul, older now. I Paul just Lito. assume he's, he's... I thought that was his father. Uh, hey, um, <laughs> Paul Shore. Shore. Did you hear about this crazy uh, marathon? Nope. Are you guys runners? Anybody ever run a marathon over there? No, I... Uh... <laughs> I, I, I can't get into that. <laughs> I can't either. That's the punishment of the sports that I played. <laughs> is it? Yeah. I respect the people that run marathons, though, because that is a mental... Thing, well, man. Well, what, like physically crazy, right? Mental, even, oh, horrible. Even tougher. What would you think though if you were running, let's say, a half marathon, and it ended up being four hour, four miles longer because the the route was you mismeasured? You would know. Well, or would you just think you're hitting the wall? 
you just like, wow, this is my worst time ever. <laughs> I don't Why, know what I it is. I train just as hard. Why am I 24 minutes slower? <laughs> in Bangkok, that happened. There was a botched half marathon oh, where the race officials didn't measure it outright. And they ended up, instead of running the 13 miles for the half or whatever, 13 point whatever, they ended up running 17 miles. Did they charge them for the extra miles? Uh, you know, they didn't charge them, but they, <laughs> they did made, have they to made make them it up. put in gas, you know. Uh, do you want to pay for it now, or do you want to get it right before you turn it off? <laughs> Isn't it weird? Because they all have their watches on, and they're like, I think, hold on. Well, I'm in my 15th mile. My watch must be wrong. Uh, but in the end, they had to print T-shirts, and they gave everyone a T-shirt because the T-shirt would make up for the fact that they were, you know, gypped. Out of so a... I, I had to run an extra four miles, mm-hmm. and all I got was this stupid T-shirt? That's exactly right. And that's, I paid for it. That's what it, I, I think. That's what it said. I think that's actually what it said. But it basically, the T-shirt said, uh, "I." Uh, the T-shirt said, "A finisher of basically a seventeen-mile half marathon plus." Well, you can't call it a half marathon. No, anymore. you can't. So what do you call it? I think it's a big mistake. Like a, like a three-quarter. Mm-hmm. A three-quarter marathon. It's so sad. It's not even that. You do, you. But the T-shirt's not going to help, right? I mean. Mm. It's a constant reminder that you had to exert yourself more than you were planning on. Right, right. 65% of the marathon. Wow. Look at... He went to his phone. He's a savant. No, I didn't. He went to the calculator on his phone. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) No one can... There's no proof. Yeah, see what happens when you're on the radio, not TV. Um, Anything going on on your show today? You guys still doing the show or are you going to give it up now? Every day, baby. Every day. show. Except Fun show don't. today. There's only one day a year we don't do the show. What day is that? Christmas. Yeah, you but guys. Like at 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, the entire year except for Christmas Day, yeah. there was a show. There was a BYU Sports Day. Holy cow. Whether you guys are incredible. I mean, that's amazing. That's 259 days. It's dedication. That is. That really is because half it's the time. they told us we had to do. Half the times I'm doing my show, I'm not even here. Are you there now? No. Is this taped? Yep. How does the audience know? They don't. What would you think if all of a sudden you ended up doing an extra 35 minutes of your show? <laughs> without knowing. Without knowing it. You just you know like, what? all of a sudden it's 1035 and you're like, why am I still talking? You know what's funny? That's what my third hour feels like. <laughs> Every third hour I'm like, I feel like the, I feel like the yeah. half marathon's over, but I've got four more miles. Here's what we're doing today. Yeah. BYU has two regular season games left in football. What do you want to see from the Cougars? Okay, we'll discuss that. Also, John Beck. Will join us, former BYU Mountain West Conference. Wasn't he on yesterday? Awesome. That was Jason Beck. That was Jason. Oh, man. That was Ja Beck. We're having Joe Beck on today. Holy yeah. cow. They yeah. were on the same team uh, for a couple of years. So what they did was John Beck had Joe mm-hmm. Beck on the back. And yeah, yeah. Jason oh, that's Beck why. Right. Ja. Ja. Day. Okay. That's good. Um, also, a huge day for a couple of women's teams on campus. Women's basketball plays Oklahoma, ranked oh, 17th on the road. huge game, yeah. Uh, women's volleyball and Alexa Gray, who will join us in studio, play tonight against Santa Clara. They're up one game in the conference standings. We always first right now. Hmm. And then women's soccer, NCAA tournament, second round. They're in Palo Alto. Michelle Murphy's Vasco and Celis will join us from Palo Alto. Who are they playing? Stanford rematch. That's why they're okay, in Palo so they Alto. Lost one nothing. Okay. Against Palo Alto earlier in the year, they were supposed to play them in Hawaii really early. Ugh. That got canceled because of playing conditions. Sure. So this is kind of the third mental game with Stanford's second actual game. Uh, and it, it's for all the marbles uh, in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Season oh, man. Good luck to them. Okay. And who are you speaking to about that? Michelle Murphy Vasconcelos. Cool. MMV, as no one calls her. MMV. I called it that earlier. I'm Isn't hoping that it, a, I'm hoping it that's a Roman numeral? On. MMV. 
That's yeah, a great. It's what's one of my favorite. M? I don't know. That figure. That's millenn- a thousand probably. Because V is what. I am not good with the Roman five. Numerals, right? You know what? Yeah. Ever Isn't since Latin was a dead language, so I gave L. up Roman. Just L. Why are we still using Roman numerals? Don't ask. Don't even ask. Why? Did, why are the Super Bowls Roman numerals? Would most people point? know if they put the wrong Roman numeral? I don't know. No. I only I know the most, ones in most and people fives. Well, the the, the Romans would tens. Any the Roman, the current Romans that are alive, they yeah. would know. They like would in t- Rome, are yeah. they using Roman numerals? Oh, for sure. Like when Eric Mika gets back from his mission, BYU basketball <laughs> player, he's going to write everything out in Roman numerals. Absolutely. It makes, by the way, the longest <laughs> check you've ever seen. <laughs> Try writing a check in Roman numerals. Speak Latin as well. It's <laughs> so hard. All right, guy, that's a great show. You, you again, you, you surprised me. You just keep putting it together every day. Like I would, I'd give it up some days, but you, you guys just yet. hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> Do you like my Cockney accent? Is that how you pronounce yes, that? Yes, Michael Caine. Never. Never. Okay, gentlemen, have a great show. See ya. See ya. Have a good half marathon. <laughs> or should I say 17 miles? Anyway, good luck, guys. Crazy town. That's true about the Roman numerals. You know, some things, just too complicated. That's why we're not doing the metric system. That's why the Roman Empire is dead. That's what killed the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. That's why your numbers matter. You know? Yeah. It'll, it'll kill you. That's why accountants will be needed for forever. Mm. Not liked, but it yeah. needed. Maybe. Maybe not. Hey, did you hear about the sheriff? This guy, what a guy. Uh, sheriff of Milwaukee County, David Clark, he issued himself a parking ticket. After parking his squad car in a handicapped spot during a local Veterans Day festivities. He parked in a handicapped spot. I pulled up in front of the war memorial, got out of my squad car, and directed a captain to move the vehicle and properly parked it, to park it. So he had a, one of his police officers were supposed to valet his car. Clark wrote in a press release, That order was not followed when I came out of the Veterans Day event and noticed the vehicle still there and found out that my... Order was not followed. I ordered a county citation be written on the vehicle. Clark went on to pay $35 fine and donated the additional city fee of $200 to a charity that he works with with disabled people. And then he fired that cop. No, he didn't. I made that up. That's cool. You make a mistake, you take care of your mistake. We need more of that in politics, don't we? We do. We need a lot more of that in our political world. Uh, Anyway, um, we probably need more of that and more heroes altogether. Remember, on the show, we always like to introduce you to a new hero of the day. Uh, The hero today is going to be Brandon Williams. Brandon is a 13-year-old autistic teenager from Staten Island, New York, and he ended up saving a choking classmate. Um, Let me show you. Let me tell you the story. 13-year-old Brandon Williams loves to watch Spongebob Squarepants. So when he spotted his classmate choking on an apple during lunch, he knew just what to do, having seen it on the popular cartoon show. Brandon, who is autistic, quickly jumped up, pulled his classmate Jessica Pellegrino to her feet, and applied the Heimlich maneuver. Wrapping his arms around her midsection, he gave a sharp thrust to her diaphragm, and she spit out the uh, little piece of apple. And um, anyway saved her life. Brandon Williams said he knew how to perform the Heimlich because on his choking friend Jessica, 
because he had seen it on his favorite show, a cartoon that talks about, uh, it's a talking sponge. You've seen it, right? It lives under the sea. Williams, uh, his dad, Anthony, told the paper he picks up on things that most of us would miss and files it away in his head, and he can recall it in an instant. That's how he knew instantly what to do, and we're sure glad he did. We're sure proud of him. So Brandon Williams, 13-year-old autistic teen, you are the hero of the day on The Matt Townsend Show. Such a cool story because how many times do we just think, oh, yeah, okay, they just can't do anything. He's got a disability. She's got a disability. But in reality, folks, everyone has value. Everybody has talent, amazing gifts. And uh, together, we elevate the entire world. So, Brandon, you're the hero of the day. Thanks for uh, being our example. We're out of here, folks. That's the show. Uh, We'll be back again tomorrow. More tools, more ideas, more information and guests to help you find the good in the world. Remember, the goal is to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. And we can't do it without you. So join us again tomorrow right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. And until tomorrow, take care, watch out for each other, and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.